Warning, this program typically features respectful, nuanced, and well-informed commentary, strong language, obscure pop culture references, and spurious allegations. We, we, we know of new methods of attack. The Trojan Greetings and welcome back to another exciting installment of the Fifth Column Podcast. This is your weekly and much more frequently than that of late. I mean, we are really putting in a lot of overtime, uh, rhetorical assault on the news cycle, the people that make it, and occasionally ourselves. Now, more than ever, the Fifth Motherfucking Column. Um, I'm Camille Foster. I do various things at a place called Freethink. I'm delighted to be here with you, coming to you live from this place in Virginia, because, of course, we're all still in the same damn position we were in last week. And I am joined by some spectacular people, one spectacular person in particular who I have to introduce last because that's usually how we do it. So to these assholes who you are totally familiar with, Michael Moynihan, Vice News, <laughs> Matt Welch, editor-at-large Reason Magazine. Hi, guys. How are you doing? And Barry Weiss is here. Yay, <laughs> the New York Yay. Times, our very favorite person who has decided to join us. I think, Barry, you might be our first guest of the whole quarantine era. It is. That's true. I'm honored. This is a big deal. We're delighted to have you. I'm deal. so honored because I all I do now is listen to podcasts and I finally listen to Week Fit. <laughs> Who else are you listening to? Give us some tips. I've been listening to Sam Harris. Okay. I've been listening to you guys. <laughs> I've been listening. This is weird. I've never listened to a book on tape until now. Yes. Or yes. whatever we call them now. Book Audio on books. tape. I sound like yeah. an 85-year-old. <laughs> an audible <laughs> recorded. Yeah. I don't know what. I'm listening to Emily St. John Mandel's uh, novel, Station Eleven, which I'm like six years late to, but I'm loving and feels like it was written for this moment. Have you guys read it? Catherine Mango Ward's a big fan. She just recommended that. Too. It's really good. It's really, really good. I'm Are you doing that on headphones? You're doing it like in the house? Is everyone, everyone listening to it? I'm doing it on headphones because my only real activity now is walking. Uh-huh. And my only like fitness goal for myself has been a pathetic one of doing like 10,000 steps a day, which I know is like the minimum amount we're supposed to do. Um, <laughs> But I, I've been listening to it on on walks with the dog. So you're in the first chapter. That's good. <laughs> Moynihan, your fitness goal is to is to, to not gain only die. three pounds yes. to not a yeah week. to not die of diabetes. Hey, before I, we did the start of this podcast, I am drinking, of course, and I am you know huffing on this jewel. But I did uh, I did run a couple miles today um, because I was in the house all day and I could just hear myself getting fatter. And my daughter was like doing <laughs> gymnastics all over the place. You and could I just like, feel the spread oh, of the God, cellulite yeah. on your oh tush. Oh God, it was like dripping. I, I looked in the mirror and I was like, oh my God, who invited Frank Luntz? <laughs> and then it turned out it was me. Um, it's really gross. So, so yeah. <laughs> but at least you had like a panel of uh, unallied voters in your house. That yeah, you they had like little go. dials yeah. talking about how fat I was. So we proceed from directly from the pandemic to the, I guess, more severe epidemic of obesity in America. Mm. On average, how much fat do you imagine most Americans have put on? We can't afford to put on much more because <laughs> finally figured out that it was obesity that's killing so many Corona stricken Americans. I mean, that's a the number one factor. And when I saw it, it was like, it says diabetes. And I'm like, oh my God, I might die if I get uh, coronavirus. But they don't disaggregate that number because it's all type two diabetes, which isn't real diabetes. That's fat people diabetes. Wow. But hey, it's just a fact. It's a fact. It's the difference between shaving your head and being bald, man. Right. That's what the doctors call it. Fat people diabetes. Well, yeah. yeah, That's (laughs) behind everyone's back they do. (laughs) Um, (laughs) But I can't do anything about it. It's just what happens to my broken pancreas. 
There's other people <laughs> just maybe, maybe eating a little too much. But seriously, it's not your like horrifying lifestyle that, that caused no. this? Everybody in my family has diabetes. My father had type 1 diabetes. Uh, my uncle, yeah. So it's it's just the Moynihan family tradition. Do you so, know, my father was also a diabetic. Type one. He was on insulin. All he wasn't on insulin all his life. Actually, he got into an argument in a parking lot with this dude, and he shot him in the parking lot. True story. Wait, wait, I'm sorry. Wait, 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 no, no, no. This is his oh, name. He got shot. He got shot. Walter Mad Dog Foster. This they called yeah. him Mad Dog. And <laughs> yes, he was at a party. He was I, dancing. I have to say, didn't see that one coming. Yeah, he was dancing <laughs> with some guy's girlfriend, uh-huh. and apparently, this gentleman confronted him in the parking lot, and he did not like that he had been dancing with his girlfriend earlier. He communicated mm-hmm. as much to him. I think my father probably informed him that it would be a good idea for him to have sexual intercourse with himself. And this man proceeded, <laughs> yeah. this man proceeded yeah. to shoot him. So, uh-huh. yeah. And as a result, yeah. he took insulin for the rest of his life. Wow. As a result of that? Yeah. You know, it's funny because I've slept with other, I've slept with men's wives and maybe that's what happened to me. <laughs> yeah. Didn't know that. Wait, you know, how that long have you been doing this podcast and this story has never been told? There's so many stories that have never been told, Barry. Yeah. How long have we been doing this? Four years now? Four years, yeah. Four years and uh, and two weeks. Yeah, yeah we're going to stretch out those stories, don't we? Yeah. Have I told you guys about the time I went to Prague this one time? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, Matt has a new podcast. It's like it's like Ringo Starr's solo album called "I Went to Prague." I went one to time. Prague. I yeah, went to it's Prague. Pretty good. It's more like Pete Pete Best's <laughs> yeah, solo Pete album at this point. So, so Barry, we've we've been talking amongst ourselves for some time, and there will be time enough to talk about COVID and everything else that's happening in the world. And there's plenty of it, people. But what I most want to know, Barry, is how you've been spending the rest of your time. So I know you're listening to podcasts. And consuming audiobooks, but what other strange habits have you put on tape? Put on tape, Camille. That's the whole um, thing. Well, I, a little bit, I'm like regressing, meaning I've become like a 1950s housewife I, I, or like <laughs> Laura Ingalls Wilder or something. Like, I, I haven't cooked in three years. Like, uh-huh. maybe I've cooked like, I live on takeout. I, you know, like, I, I have nothing in my fridge but like five bottles of mustard. Um, and obviously that's all not a possibility anymore. So I'm cooking like a tremendous amount. I'm taking real pleasure in it, wondering about all of my life choices and, um, (laughs) yeah, I'll like stretch out dinner prep for like a good solid two hours while I make everyone Negronis. Just to savor Um, the process. Yes. Cause it's like, I, I, the other day I was like, no, like, no, I, I have to do the dishes. Like doing dishes is something I'm dying to do because I need to like have little accomplishments and missions. And do I sound crazy or do no, you guys you're just have setting the gender back about 20 years? So. <laughs> no, but, but I'm how, glad you found me in a gay relationship. Like <laughs> yeah. nothing makes sense anymore. I, yeah. I one time I'm totally with you on the dishes, by the way. I, I one so time uh, referred to Camille as Black Ron Paul, and I'm going to refer to you as lesbian Phyllis Schlafly. That's, that's what you've become. Barry, you're going backwards. You're taking the gender with you. It is wow. Live your truth. I'm living my truth, baby. And my truth and my truth is shoeless in the kitchen. Wow. Uh, and how does your uh, uh, lovely, uh, do we name, I'll just say your lovely partner, 
your lovely Frau. How do how do we refer to somebody who shall remain nameless? Uh, how do you, how is she taking all of this? Is she enjoying the fact that you're becoming this this housewife? She is loving it. Uh, yeah, I would imagine. Yes, yes. Yeah. She's loving well, it, but also she's she's cooked some things too. She made bouffe bourguignon the other night, which really? was hugely ambitious, given that she's someone that typically subsists on like cold tempeh, and it was pretty good. <laughs> Hmm. What about you guys? What are you, what are you doing? I mean, I sort of know because I've been listening to you incessantly, but like, give me a sense of your week. If you've been listening a lot, then I can tell you at least one thing that is new that I've done that I haven't told these gentlemen about. I had to return a rental car this week. And one thing is I've discovered how much I loved <laughs> driving and how important it was to me. And what I really loved about driving was being able to listen to 70s music and belt it out at the top of my lungs. And I realized just how not meant for this particular moment, Teddy Pendergrass is. Teddy Pendergrass is very aggressive. Yeah. I mean, he is barking instructions at women. Come on and go with me. Come on over to <laughs> yeah. my place. It, it's just like really aggressive. <laughs> Turn off the lights and close the door. And he's yeah. informing her Rocket. of all of yeah. the things that he is going uh-huh. to do to her and how much she's going to enjoy it. And I know that in the 1970s at Teddy Pendergrass concerts and Marvin Gaye concerts into the 80s as well, they were throwing their panties on the stage. So I don't know what's happened, (laughs) but things have changed in a way that is astonishing. And I'm just glad that we've finally gotten beyond that moment. I mean, that sounds like Barry, you know, she's like (laughs) barking orders. Like, let me, let me just do it. I'm going to do it. I'm the housewife. Come on, woman. (laughs) Teddy <laughs> Pendergrass is gonna sleep with their girlfriend. That's the thing. Like I listen to that, I'm like, oh my god, is she home by herself? Because Teddy's creeping up the window, getting in there. He's a big guy, like, so it's Camille, probably not creeping like, up there. What are you doing? Are you like, I imagine you like hunting and skinning deer <laughs> and like making fire from sticks. Like, what is going on in the woods of Virginia? I'm really not roughing it. I mean, we we have a compound here, but there's a grocery store nearby, so I have four refrigerators filled with all kinds of delectable <laughs> foods, much of which is microwavable. Although my mm. wife has similarly discovered that she loves to bake. Which again, because I'm already putting on weight and not working out the way I ought to be, I'm also just putting on the poundage, but I'm eating delicious cakes. Yeah, that's pretty much it. Eating cakes, cleaning my gun, (laughs) recording podcasts with these fine gentlemen. The funniest thing is when we first started this, it's how quickly you go from living in the city to living in Virginia. (laughs) When he's like, yeah, I know you go to the grocery store and it's only health food on the shelves. And I'm like, wait, that's the opposite of where I live. Like you cannot get health, like healthy foods all gone. And like, I have to get like the, the just stuff that you get in the grocery store that you used to get in when in the eighties that your parents had that you had growing up. Cause none of like the good stuff is there. So all the the, the low sodium, no fat, no sugar. Yeah. Yeah. Are you guys read? I'm oh, sorry. I want to like get into it, but I also want to. <laughs> no, okay. I'm going to ask if you guys no. are rethinking your. I, I, I was going to call them life choices, but I guess more like geographic choices, especially. Hmm. I don't know. All of you, like, are you thinking about like, let's say things don't really come back in a normal way for another year and a half? Do you hmm. want to stay in Brooklyn if that's the case? Well, I have the weird uh, response to this of like. We're in the epicenter, as we all know, and it's it's bad. Like I saw a stat this morning of it's one out of every 800 New Yorkers at this point has died. (laughs) It starts starts to get to be a real number. Um, And my instinct as a total non-New Yorker, I'm a Californian, I'm an opposite of New Yorker, 
is like, fuck it, I'm staying now more than than ever. Like I like it's not because I want to be around death, but because <laughs> I actually want to be around uh, a city. I want to be able to walk. I want to you know go out my patio and and jawbone with a pizzeria owner who kind of shares the patio with us and talk about conspiracy theories and walk around the corner and go to you know this bodega and that bodega and that restaurant and whatever. Like I want to be around people and um and you know everyone gets talks to their family members from various places and their days are can be tied around that one uh expedition to you know the local Costco or grocery store wherever the hell Camille lives um and the you know, like Camille gets all like up, upset about how many toilet paper rolls he can buy during his one expedition to fill his five freezers full of meat or whatever the <laughs> hell he's doing out there and it's like I'd like to live in civilization. Civilization is great. It is, it is, it is a total accomplishment. It's a wonderful, beautiful thing. It's filled with people. It's filled with creative people and commercial people. And I, I love that and, and feel a sense of, of tenderness towards it now more than maybe I ever have. So I want to live in the city more than I ever have. I just hope that it doesn't kill me. Yeah. I mean, I would probably feel the same if I had space. You know, I mean, I'm, I envy people who are upstate and, you know, can get their 10,000 steps in because they have a house and they can do it just like walking around the house. And I, I mean, I, I walk from one end of my apartment to the other in, in, you know, four seconds. So that's a bit, <laughs> it's a bit much, you know, a bit, bit overwhelming. But, um, yeah, I mean, it, it, I don't have any desire to go places where this isn't as bad for some reason. That's not like, you know, particularly for you, Matt, because California is not as bad. And no. that's obviously because of a lack, not the same amount of population density that you have in LA that you do in New York of everyone, you know, cheek to jowl all the time. So it's, so it's obviously not as bad there, but no, I haven't had a huge desire to run away. I did at the beginning because I didn't know how long this was going to go on, but I don't suspect it's going to go on that much longer. Um, and that's just me being hopeful. I have no evidence of this at all because I can't allow myself to think that I have to live this life for much longer. Cause it is really, it's actually starting to, to have an effect on me and it's, yeah, I'm it getting much weird. punchier. Like I uh, told Camille this today. I had a, I, had a <laughs> I was mad about something um, with some people um, who shall remain nameless. And I just, you know, to this chain, I just sent a very, you know, forthright message that's basically said, you can all go fuck yourselves. And that wouldn't have happened if I was actually like living in a normal life and going outside all the time and seeing my friends. I'm just on edge, you know? And, yeah. and, and that is, is starting to really, really get to me at this point. And that's like one of the things that when you're talking about these calculations of deaths, et cetera, and the cost of every single human life is the one that I keep banging on about is that, you know, what is the psychological cost to people who are, the the psychological fragility is something that we don't take into consideration, but you know, what is the cost of people that have to be cooped up at home all the time? And I'm seeing it having a lot of really negative effects on people that I know and care about. And I'm worried about, to be honest. And, um, you know, one I was talking to earlier today, who's European and cannot go to Europe Two actually, I was talking to today, the same situation. So, I mean, I'd love to, to have a little respite from New York. And I, I did actually the other day when I, I went to Massachusetts, um, but that was for a shoot and I came right back. Um, and I was supposed to go uh, shoot something next week in, um, in um, Nashville and man, number one, flights aren't cheap. That's not, that's really? no, not at all. Hmm. Some one. of them are. I mean, 
I looked at, there was like a flight I saw the other day to San Francisco for $25. Really? Wow. That can't be true. Is that what, what airline? It was like Spirit or something. It's but, be Spirit. Oh, yeah, don't do that. The, yeah, Even for 25. No, no, no. They got yeah, to pay I've, me, learned pay my lesson. <laughs> I've learned my lesson on yeah. Spirit. I will never do Spirit. But the yeah. point is there were some for like 100. Yeah. It was that. Did, did you say no to Spirit when you realized that halfway through you have to fly the plane for a little bit? <laughs> I'll be punched. Like Twenty minutes. Let's just put it this way: my experience with Spirit, I think I I blo- I blacked it out. Yeah. But I ended up getting like four vouchers to anywhere Spirit flies anywhere in the world oh. from my experience with them. But I never use them. That is how much I need. <laughs> the Weisses are going to Hartford. <laughs> well, uh, Weiss. You're in a compound somewhere in an undisclosed state that is not New York City. How has this affected the way that you look at the world? Are you going to retreat to uh, Pennsylvania? What are you going to do? Well, it's funny. I wanted we wanted to go to to Pittsburgh right away, which is where I'm from. But my dad has MS, and so it was you know kind of mm-hmm. a non-starter. But we might be going there in a week or so. We'll see. Um, I don't know. I'm I'm thinking about everything about the way we live. To be honest, like. I'm thinking about everything from like the limits of globalization and the way that China is affecting everything and the way that I numb myself to that reality. And also thinking about like, what does it mean to live in a city where it's not possible to get together with the people I love, which is the only reason I live in the city anyway, you know? So of course I'm thinking about that. And yeah, if I, if, if this ends in a few weeks and I'm able to like, go to a bar and get a drink again? Like, yes, I'm all in. But if it means that like we need to live in our tiny boxes and never have dinner parties or go to a play or anything for the next little while, like that just sounds terrible to me. Yeah. Yeah. And I think one thing yeah, that- I think that the thing is is that regardless of who says what, who quote unquote opens the economy again, most of the people I know that have become incredibly paranoid about this stuff. And yeah. I think I think too much, um, and I try to talk them off ledges constantly, is that even when everything opens up, they're going to very actively resist going to bars, going to concerts, going to to plays, whatever. I think most people are going to be be self-quarantining on their own for, for a rather long time after. I don't know. Even like the experience of, you know, the first week we went to the grocery store here, we're in Massachusetts, and like it was um, – we were the only ones wearing masks and we look like the crazy people, you know? And now that same grocery store is like limit you to one carton of eggs. There's no toilet paper. There's no yeast. There's no flour. Everyone's wearing a mask. There's, you know, duct tape on the floor telling you which way to walk. And everyone's looking, looking at each other a little bit suspiciously. And like, you know, the idea of living in a New York city where everyone has to wear a mask to go out in public. I don't, I don't know. Now, Now required as of today. Yes, not required um, today. Yeah. We ordered some on Etsy, by the way. There's some really, there's some, there's some cute ones. If you don't want to make it, I don't know. How to say. <laughs> I, I think it's important to to continue to be a hype beast. You got, you got to be, babe. You should definitely have a cute mask. One of my siblings has like a supreme mask. I don't well, they've know had those for a while. Yeah, yeah. Big in Asia. I don't know. I'm just, I'm thinking about, you know, like what are the things that really matter, and the things that really matter to me, and the reasons that I love the cities I love or because I have, you know, a minion, like a quorum of people that I adore. Mm-hmm. And New York has the number one most concentrated people I adore <laughs> in of any city anywhere in the world. Mm-hmm. Um, but it just takes away the joy of it if, you know, you, you guys know what I mean. 
Well, we were talking today in our kitchen um, about reopening the economy of the Welch household. What is that? What does that mean? <laughs> Um, and the preliminary uh, agreement Matt finally was gets that a job. <laughs> we were, no, let's not, let's not get hasty, so uh, but, uh, that we're, we've already started very limited amounts of, uh, socially distanced patio drinking with friends in, in our patio, which is uh, thankfully uh, spacious. Um, and it's just open. It's, it's permanently open to the participants on this podcast, not quite yet the listeners, but, but we'll, you know, hopefully get there <laughs> Don't do sooner that. rather than later. No, no. <laughs> we, we did that before. And I think that was the super spreading uh, event of April 9th. Um, but uh, no, that's like, like we all should be able to sit a uh, comfortable distance from one another in our patio, drinking margaritas and palomas like the men and women we are. I had an experience the other day in the, in a store. I had to pick up, um, something or drop off a prescription. I think I mentioned this on the Patreon and the woman who I was talking to had to ask me where I was from. For some reason, I just said, I, I live in Brooklyn. And she looked at me with this like wonder and amazement. And it was obvious that she wanted to live my life. Like she didn't want to be here. She wants to be in plague ridden Brooklyn. Like even now it's still her fantasy. And I get that. Like I get how you might want that living anyplace else, especially when I think about this miserable internet connection that I have here. Um, there are certainly things that are wonderful about the country. And one of the things I've been most pleased by is watching my kid be able to like go outside and play in the grass. Like initially she was afraid of it. Like, what is this stuff? Um, but now she loves it. And I think that's great. Uh, and I, I hope I can still find opportunities for her to do that, like actually go to the park that's close to the house occasionally. Um, but yeah, I hope things get back to normal so I can go back home. It'd be nice. I mean, I, I wonder what it will do to people that live in the city. I mean, in the sense that like people say all the time, you know, rents in New York are ridiculous. You overpay to live in New York. It's like, no, you don't. I mean, people pay to live in New York because there is a limited a supply and a constant demand. So, I mean, it's not absurd that people, they pay this premium for a reason. And I'm just wondering now if people are still going to be willing to pay that premium because you pay the premium for all the cool things that you can do in New York. And when you can no longer do those cool things, the premium is no longer worth it. And I, I, you know, in one, in one sense, you know, we're probably going to see some sort of shakeout. Um, You know, one person I interviewed who was uh, for this piece that I'm doing for Showtime is I was, um, what does she do? Some exercise class that confuses me because I'm out of shape and she was doing it on zoom. Tracy Anderson. Oh, I saw somebody told me about this person. I actually looked that person up the other day. Who told me about Tracy Anderson? It's like all these people that are like kind of famous. I've never well, heard she's of. She's like the, the top. Yeah. I'd never heard of her, but I, okay. because you know, as you can tell from my body, I haven't heard of any of these people, <laughs> um, but uh, this woman, she, I found out we're going to like follow up with her and she's already moved back to her parents' house in Delaware. And that's just probably going to be, I mean, she's in her twenties and, you know, lost her job and was, was doing kind of classes as, as a trainer. And there's no possibility of doing that outside of, of doing it on zoom for a greatly reduced fee and for a reduced number of people. So I wonder how this will, this will shake out. It, you know, it'll, that would presumably have an effect on rents, but you know, New York seems entirely immune to that and always has, especially after nine 11. I mean, there was actually a big dip 
I was here in 9-11. And I remember the, the uh, places on Kent Avenue in um, the big high rises in Williamsburg and in Battery Park City. They were giving those apartments away and people were buying them for like $200,000 because there was the anticipation that nobody was going to want to live in New York. But that changed pretty quickly. So who knows? I mean, who knows? It'll all shake out. But Yeah. Well, maybe we, we can get into a little bit of the stuff that's been going on recently because there, there have been a few things. Um, I think the most recent excitement was maybe yesterday during the Trump presser. I didn't see today's. I have no idea what happened in it. I will be glad to find out a week from now if necessary. Um, but yesterday, uh, the president of the United States, Donald Trump, said that he was going to pause funding for the World Health Organization. Um, we are, as most people know, in the midst of a pandemic, but also, as most people who are listeners to this podcast know, the World Health Organization is problematic, to use a word that has <laughs> a, a lot of resonance with many people. Um, but that is only part of what the president has done this week. The president began the week by explaining to assembled press and, of course, many of the people who are working on the pandemic issues, who spend a great deal of time at the White House in these pressers these days, um, explaining to everyone that he has total authority um, in the matters that are being discussed, however he put it, um, essentially suggesting that he is solely responsible for determining whether or not the states can close or open. This is a very dramatic and I think in some respects for many people frightening thing to hear the president say. It's also a bizarre and sharp departure from stuff that he's been saying for weeks now when confronted by assembled media who ask questions like, Mr. President, when are you going to close all of these states that refuse to close? Um, and he would talk about federalism and the Constitution <laughs> and how he doesn't have the power to do that. Um, suddenly, as of Monday, he did have the power um, he subsequently seems to have softened a little bit. I don't know that he's he hasn't walked back the total authority claim, but he has at least suggested that this is a decision that would be made in partnership with the states. Um, and speaking of which, I think a, a related point is that the United States, but many other countries um, in Europe and in um, Australia, uh, parts of Asia are beginning to talk about reopening and are starting to give us a peek of what it might look like. And in many respects, it actually sounds starkly different than what most of us are used to. Um, I, I've heard some of these descriptions talk about like going out to eat and using all of these disposable menus and there being fewer chairs and tables in your favorite restaurant because we need to sit further apart. Um, and also the expectation that we will have to do these rather dramatic social distancing um, and mitigation exercises again um, if, in fact, we see a new wave of infections uh, and ICUs begin to get crowded again. So a heck of a lot going on there. Um, I, I wonder if I could direct everyone's attention initially to the, the situations that have been going on in the lower press office and the excitement around both um, the president's claim of total authority and I think relatedly, and perhaps first and foremost, the situation with the World Health Organization, because this, I, I suspect, was a pretty shocking development for most people. Certainly, we saw like the buildup and the growing concern about the World Health Organization. There were a lot of articles in many, many mainstream publications last week about how abysmal the World Health Organization has performed during the pandemic, but also things that look a hell of a lot like malfeasance, and certainly many things that strike me as 
almost seeming like an actual propaganda outlet for the communist, um, the communist party uh, in China. Um, so thoughts, feelings, I don't have a question to open it up. Well, a few things is that uh, the president's claim of total authority is as absurd. I mean, it's completely ridiculous. And you saw pushback from people in his own party. Um, and, and that's beyond just, you know, the Tom Massey's and the, the Justin Amash, who is, of course, not a member of the party anymore. But it, it was other people saying, no, that's that's kind of absurd. And that's actually a, a bit a bit worrisome. But the thing is about this is that it's very strange what they choose to push back on, because all these things that were the bedrock tenets of conservatism and the Republican Party, which they've allowed the president to change the party's, you know, uh, direction on and, and, you know, trade is a, is a good a good example, like all these free traders that have come in to the government from Stephen Moore and Larry Kudlow, who made careers, Art Laffer, good careers of this stuff, and all of a sudden don't care anymore. So it, it, I, I walk that back. But the great thing about the robustness of the American system and the American Constitution is he can say whatever the hell he wants. He still can't do it. Uh, <laughs> so that's that's a, a thing that, that gives me a little bit of, uh, you know, I can sleep a little easier. The WHO stuff. Look, I mean, I don't I don't know if it's the best timing of this, but I'm 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 happy that it's happening. And the, it's the wrong it's the wrong messenger because as Donald Trump talks about this, what does he say? He says the exact same thing that he says about NATO. He talks about the bill. We foot, you know, 20% of the bill, we pay this much. China only pays this much if we're paying. You know, and in some sense, like you want to use us as the piggy bank for for places like um, NATO and 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 the WHO, then you're we're going to get a disproportionate amount of power in determining one would think determining what the policy of those organizations are. We haven't been doing that, but the, I think mm -hmm. the thing that that is most terrifying is that no one. I mean, this is the kind of thing that that Donald Trump does. I wish we had a different president for a lot of reasons, and and on the top of that list is it allows people. I heard the BBC today. And it was really just outrageous. They were talking about this. And the host said to the BBC correspondent, you know, but doesn't the president have a point on this? And they bent over backwards for 10 minutes to say, no, he doesn't. And they made every excuse for the WHO because it's Donald Trump. And that is scummy on their part, but mm -hmm. kind of expected because that's the kind of, you know, you don't want to be on the same side of this guy if, on any issue. And, you know, even people who say that he's right, I saw... um a guy that I used to work with today, you know, left of center guy saying, well, you know, when he's right, he's right. And it's like, you can't just say he's, this is correct. You have to say when mm -hmm. he's right, he's right, which I understand that instinct, yeah. right? But, you know, the, the man that is heading the World Health Organization, the Ethiopian man with the Greek name, Dr. Tedros, um, is, why are we surprised by this? He's giving sucker to the Chinese Communist Party when he served in his first official job with the Mengistu regime. The, and he tried to make Mugabe a goodwill he ambassador. Did. And why? My guess on that is because who sheltered Mengistu when he was ousted in 90 or 91? Zimbabwe. So I'm sure he's probably paying him back for that. But, you know, it is, it's an, it's an interesting thing because this is a guy who has taken up so much time attacking Taiwan and having his minions. I mean, we saw, everyone saw this uh, thing, the, uh, the Taiwanese video. journalist. Who like pretends the amazing. connection? I mean, that's amazing. That's that's essentially WHO policy. And what does he say when he's asked a totally reasonable question by a Canadian journalist 
who says, you know, about this criticism about WHO in front of everybody, he goes on this long rant about racism and about mm-hmm. how the Taiwanese, let's just call it, let's say who it is. The Taiwanese are being racist towards me. And, you know, I'm fine. I don't bring it up except for now in this press conference. I don't bring it up, <laughs> but I'm bringing it up now. But, you know, it doesn't bother me. And then there was a Taiwanese newspaper, nobody actually followed up on this, who could find nobody in Taiwan, yeah. particularly anybody in the government who'd been saying anything racist about the guy, but did find some things online that they could trace back to mainland China, um, which, you know, doesn't surprise anyone. But, you know, this is a this is a, a, a organization that is doing the bidding of the Chinese government in praising their BS response and, and, and harming people in the process. So, you know, defund them for all I care. But I, I do think that, you know, maybe Donald Trump, who's, you know, to, to put it mildly intemperate, um, could have held off on this until we got a, a better a better hold on this because it does not mean that, that everything the WHO does is bad. I, I I ditto like everything Moynihan just said. I just find it so frustrating that the narrative that's already being sort of spun here is the idea that the only people that oppose the WHO or are critical of the WHO are sort of like frothing at the mouth China hawk, you know, right wing crazies conspiracy theorists. Um, Mm -hmm. I saw a story today that it might've been, I forget where it was, but it put like the, you know, it was like Trump criticizes the who citing its ties to the, in scare quotes, like Chinese communist party. And it's like, (laughs) what? Like, I I just, I don't understand. It's it's the same thing again and again, which is like two things can be true. It can both Mm -hmm. be true that the who is corrupted like the United Nations Human Rights Council and that it also does good things like parts of the UN and also that Trump is looking for a scapegoat to shield mm-hmm. himself from his own incompetence Absolutely in his, his White House. Yeah. It's like both yeah. things Undoubt- are true. Undoubtedly. Yes. I just want to share with a sense of at least half the listeners out there that I'm imagining that Pete Townsend has been yeah. <laughs> collaborating with the Chinese Communist Party. Yeah. And it like makes a lot of things make a lot more sense yeah. now yeah. than they had before. Like suddenly I, I uh, wonder you were wondering where he got all those pictures on his laptop, didn't you? Meaty, beady, big and bouncy. <laughs> <laughs> Finally it all comes yeah. together. Uh uh the WHO uh has repeatedly uh, praised China's handling of this crisis January and February. It dragged its feet on saying that it can be transmitted from human to human. Seems to be, I mean, if you're going to have a World Health Organization, like you might want to like laser in <laughs> yeah. on the World Health aspect. It's kind of, of a big it. fuck up there. Like, I don't know. I think it goes from <laughs> yeah. like wombats to crickets. I'm not sure. But uh, I think that 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 was even that was even a circumstance where they actually had World Health Organization staffers who were working in Hong Kong who are actively producing reports that stated explicitly there is strong evidence that this is transmitted human to human like in the same in the same week that they were denying this, this was happening. And here's a quote from yesterday uh, from the program manager for the WHOs uh, in Europe, uh, at least one of the various programs, alcohol is consumed in excessive quantities in the European region and leaves too many victims. During the COVID-19 pandemic, we should really ask ourselves what risks we are taking in leaving people under lockdown in their homes with a substance that is harmful, both in terms of their health and the Absolutely effects of crazy. their behavior on others, including violence. Motherfucker, <laughs> you, you stay the fuck away from my booze. Mm. 
don't even think about. I got two drinks. I'm looking at two drinks right now. Two. And they're not full. <laughs> the two they're not full enough. Wow. That's they amazing. They've got to, different different stuff in them. Yeah. And, uh, and different stuff. They're not full enough. <laughs> the great thing different, about Matt is. Different stuff. Yeah, no, he gets incredibly articulate when he drinks. You know, one stuff in one and other stuff in other. WHO, bad China people. <laughs> yeah, it's all true. I'm just struck by the way that like this this pandemic lays so many things bear that we already knew it's like mm-hmm. the hi- higher education is a bubble okay duh we knew that but but like this just exposes it beyond anything and one of the things that has you know that i knew but didn't really fully appreciate is just the influence that china has over everything not just the supply chain but like i don't know if you guys saw this incredible thing in in nature you know which is like one of the most respected scientific journals where they apologized to china for associating the virus with wuhan and with china Hmm. like what is that about why would nature publish that do you know what i mean it's like it's just noticing i mean i felt this really strongly when we were in australia like a year ago the way that china just had its influence in the universities there, but but in all sorts of realms and and just seeing that play out, I guess I lacked the imagination to see how pernicious it was. It it is interesting that they've that they've managed to to have this outsized influence in the World Health Organization, despite the fact that the United States gives so much more money. One suspects that there is just some explicit giving you a bag full of money or sliding this into your back pocket in order to be able to get you to do um, whatever I, I'd like. One one aspect of this, though, that I, I do think is important to address because I've heard it said by respectable people repeatedly, actually, even throughout um, the last couple of weeks before Donald Trump got, got wind of this, um, is that the World Health Organization is a non-political institution and they have to do business in a lot of shady places. And as a result, yes, they are going to turn a blind eye to some of the despicable things that China might do. And they're not going to criticize, criticize them too vehemently. As, as you mentioned a moment ago, Michael, they, the, the, the chair was quick to throw Taiwan under the bus and suggest that they're, they were racist like, and that they were, they were organizing some sort of racist campaign against him. They have in the past criticized US policy explicitly, certainly talking about keeping Matt's alcohol from him, but also were very explicit in criticizing the travel ban, despite the fact that they didn't name the United States directly. So there have been numerous instances of them taking explicit political positions um, and giving direction to governments while at the same time lauding the Chinese government with praise and ignoring the fact that they were providing bullshit numbers um, to everyone. Um, and almost certainly continuing to misrepresent the actual state of affairs in China um, and obscuring facts about the origin um, of this uh, virus, which is is still a major question that needs to be answered. Are we going to talk about the Wuhan Virology Lab now? Well, I will say one thing before that. <laughs> um, you really want to get to that. We, yeah. we can't want to get to Brett Bear's story. Um, <laughs> Horses, <say>. um, <laughs> you know, I, I mean, I just imagine this happening from the opposite direction. The communist Chinese government, the history of the communist Chinese government, considering we're, we're always weighing the recent past of, of American history, whether, you know, we go back to slavery or we go back to the atom bomb in 1945. 
or Vietnam or whatnot, Iraq, Iraq war, if we were to weigh the same thing with China, right? The hundreds of millions of people, and if you want to read Frank Dickotter's books on, on both um, the Great Leap Forward and the Cultural Revolution, the, the mass murder that happened then, and then the mass murder at Tiananmen Square in 1989, and then they open up the economy and realize that they can continue being complete ratbags for the rest of eternity now that they have their hands around the nuts of the economy, right? Nobody wants to say, make the Chinese the bad guy in a Hollywood film anymore because you can't sell the film in China. So now we make it the North Koreans who have no economic power whatsoever. And even that, we apologize to them when they hack our, hack our stuff, hack Sony's servers because we make a silly movie about, about Kim Jong-un. But, you know, it's a funny thing when I, when I see these people or hear these people on the BBC here elsewhere defending, um, you know, China against the United States. They say, well, you know, here's the actual context. Is it because, but is it because they're so small minded that they still believe what their, you know, freshman international poli sci, whatever, whatever teacher told them about how the only imperialists in the world are like white Americans? Like, I, what is it? I think that's a part of it. I, I mean, I don't know if that's all of it, but I think it's a part of it. Because, I mean, you know, if 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 the, the WHO is actively sort of denying the existence of a free state of Taiwan, which, you know, came into existence because Chiang Kai-shek was backed up to Taiwan and they they held firm and they have an incredibly vibrant democracy. They have an incredibly vibrant economy. And, you know, you have officials from the organization saying, we will not answer questions about this. We'll hang up on you. And we do not recognize Taiwan and the United States has been bad about this too, because we're trying to play ball with the Chinese. Imagine somebody who did something half as bad as that, just in pure numbers. If Pinochet was still around and there was an organization that said, hey, you know what? We're going to defend uh, Augusto Pinochet because there's something that's happening in Chile that we need them for. So therefore we're fine. We've established this precedent long ago. When all you have to do is look at, look at, you know, Cuba when Castro dies, Venezuela when Chavez dies. There's sometimes criticism, but it's always of the yeah, but variety. And it's never, you know, I mean, it was President Castro always. It was never dictator or authoritarian, uh, authoritarian scumbag Castro, but it is, you know, the dictator Augusto Pinochet, rightfully so. But we've decided certain people are dictators and certain people, well, you know, they were just on the, the other end of, of, you know, bad U.S. policy or something. And we see that now in a very different way because it's not a sort of imperialism Cold War way. But we do see these people on the other side of Donald Trump's policy. And Donald Trump, we all know, is not a good guy and not a good president. Um, but that should not preclude us from actually pointing out that China is run by people that are a thousand times worse and always have been and always will be. Well, you're an ardent free trader, I, I wonder what you think about the the increasing concern about the role of globalization in the pandemic and specifically the breakdown of the global supply chain. And many people see it obviously as a vulnerability, clearly, like we have been impacted by yeah. it. Um, it. It's very likely that whenever things start to get a little less on emergency footing, we'll probably see some legislation mandating production of certain amounts of particular things here at home in the United States. Um, I already definitely, ardent free trader as well, like find myself a little less inclined to be angry about policies like that. 
Um, but I, I wonder what what your own journey looks like these days, or your own thinking, anyway. I don't. I don't have a, a journey at all, really, when it comes to this. I don't think that all, autarky, which is a word <laughs> I'll never be able to pronounce, um, is a good idea in any case. I mean, like there's pieces of bits of things that get made. We've all seen eye pencil or red eye pencil and seen the the visualizations thereof like or moynihan's iphone ripoff iphone ripoff one shit comes from everywhere and if you start saying well we must make all of x you will soon find out how expensive x is to make and how many people who live within the confines of your border uh have not been specializing in that and it it becomes bad and 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 our reserves will be lower i mean if you're trying to you know stock up on PPE or whatever it is, and that it all has to be made in the United States, uh, one presumes that because of the increased cost that the stock would be be considerably lower or we would just pay a lot more money for it. But isn't yeah. it a substantial vulnerability when, when it comes to like vaccine production and development in particular, virtually all of that happens in China at this point. And it is likely that that is the case for a number of complicated reasons, not only cost, but certain, certainly some of those things are regulatory and perhaps related to um, even patent law. But it is the case today that almost all of that stuff happens over there. And when I hear I, folks talk about that, that does sound like a, a reasonable concern, certainly in a circumstance like this, and certainly with a country that we... Our relationships with them, our relationship with them is not all good. It's it's tense and it's somewhat confrontational. They have been involved in all sorts of like corporate espionage and stealing of um, IP and various other things that are pretty egregious and would be rightly condemned under any other circumstance. But the United States government has been a lot more constrained in the way that it responds to China. Well, let's, let's be real about this. Let's be real about this, Camille. I mean, I appreciate the tealist maneuver about (laughs) the red Chinese who I was talking shit about before you were fucking born. Um, (laughs) I'm playing a little bit of devil's advocate here. Super, super nice and interesting. But, um, and I, uh, am, am, uh, so I am to put my cards on the table, someone who is in this position that no one else shares. So uh, I'm, I'm happy to acknowledge that I've lost this argument uh, in general, but like I'm someone who believes in international integration, but not prematurely. Sh- so, which is a way of saying that Russia should have never been in the G8 because they didn't belong because they didn't have democratic norms and China should not have been admitted in the WTO because they weren't ready to do that. Like the, the premature, please come in. We'll domesticate you is wrong. The non premature, um, you can join this prestigious club. Once you change a whole hell of a lot of what you're doing is the way that my sense of internationalism should work. Even having said that there's a, an inaccurate nationalist response and, to my chagrin, too many technologists and Silicon Valley tech bros who are drunk in the power of imagining that they're creating a new political future that's never going to happen. <laughs> it's peaking now. It's going to fucking die on their watch with their contribution, um, thinking that they're going to say, well, my God, China's been gaming the system. They're using Trumpite language to describe processes, courts, adjudication systems that were all designed by America. That all came up with um, uh, results uh, of the WTO. Was it like uh, ruling in favor of China at the expense of America predominantly? 
That's not what's been happening. It's mm-hmm. very easy to say that China gained the system. I think the, the, the smarter argument is that trade-offs were made and people got hurt and also people looked the other way, including civil society looked the other way when civil society, whether it's the NBA, whether it's Michael Bloomberg, whether it's Google on, on occasion or some other uh, companies, um, basically allowed China or Hollywood uh, allowed China to dictate terms. We should have been shaming them all the yes. way. And sometimes we have, sometimes we, you know, the four of us have on this podcast, uh, in the past. Uh, I think that's a much better argument than saying, my God, supply chains, this widget was made in Wuhan, and therefore we are uh, dangerously overextended. We have to do everything within the confines of our border. No, that way lies idiocy, madness, and a kind of breakdown in the good parts of the post-World War II globalization that is so fashionable to hate on now. Yes, it makes us more vulnerable to viruses worldwide travel, worldwide globalization, mixing of people, Chinese students, mm. goddamn everywhere on our college campuses. Um, yes, all of that is totally true. Um, it's also totally true that the same stuff makes the entire world richer and less di- uh, likely to die of starvation. I'm willing to take that bet. There was also this lie that, you know, certainly the Wall Street Journal editorial page told itself in the world for a few decades, but I think I'll share like a consensus view shared by most liberals, I don't know, neoliberals, whatever you call it, and conservatives, which is this idea that like free markets would lead to freer peoples. And that has just proven to be a total lie. And I think that confronting that as a lie is really, really important. I wouldn't say it's a total lie. I wouldn't say it's an, I would say it's not an absolute truth. There was an idea mm-hmm. from like the Friedmanites that, you know, the more you open up a society, and it was said, by the way, I just mentioned Pinochet, it was said when the Chicago boys were were working uh, with uh, Pinochet in Chile, it was like, hey, we're doing this because the more the economy opens, the more society opens. And, you know, unlike Fidel Castro, who dug in his heels in 1959 and never left and left in a casket, and the Communist Party still rules uh, Cuba, um, same thing is true of destroying the economy in Venezuela. They haven't got rid of them. And, you know, the no vote happened and uh, Pinochet didn't face justice in the way that he should have. But, you know, Chile became um, a, a democracy. And I think that actually, you know, you could actually make the case that I did um, have that desired result after too long. In China. It didn't happen in China. That is true. And, you know, the to Matt's point, I think that's right, is that is that the Chinese get get concessions from everybody. You know, Delta has Taiwan in their map and they say you can't fly flights out of here anymore unless you change that map. And they change the map. You know, what was it? Mm-hmm. The Top Gun movie? They changed a patch yeah. on the jacket mm-hmm. of Top Gun 2 or something. But there is a part of me that says, you know, if all I mean, the thing is, you make all vaccines, you make all X, Y or Z in China, the rest of the world and the rest of the democratic world, which has most of the cash, has to buy it. And, mm-hmm. you know, if you band together and demand things, nobody, it's too much effort. Why? Why bother? We don't give a shit about the Chinese. We don't give a shit about the Chinese people. They're fine. They're prosperous now. They're pulling lots of people out of poverty, which is good. That is a positive thing. So regardless of the fact that it hasn't precipitated democracy, I am happy the fact that it's precipitated more wealth in China and fewer people are dying in China because of poverty in the past, which is which was a common thing in the past. So it's not a total unalloyed good. Um, and that, that this always happens. But I think more often than not, it has happened. And, you know, there are examples, you know, the, what was the one before? Matt knows this one well. 
of the, you know, no two countries with McDonald's ever fought in a war. It was the Thomas L. Friedman. It was the Thomas L. Friedman, but but that became, well, what about the Balkans? And that kind of crumbled there. But, you know, the overall point is not entirely wrong, is that democratic countries are less likely to do those sorts of things if you just look at the scoreboard of the 20th century when it comes to wars. But, you know, I mean, these things aren't, aren't foolproof. But I think that, like, you know, if there, if, if there's no sense, there's no way, there's, we cannot retool the American economy to make the things that we make in China because it, it would be too expensive. But there's a difference between, like, toys and crap you buy it online or at Walmart and, and, and critical pharmaceuticals. Like, would you, would you grant that there are certain things that maybe we don't want to be dependent on China for? I don't want to be dependent on them for anything. The news <laughs> that that the vast that most uh, vaccines are made in China is totally news to me on this podcast tonight. So I'm, I'm I will say that I'm talking out of ignorance. From what I had understood about the pharmaceuticals industry up until now, the leading innovators in the world by far was the United States of America and has been for a long time because but I think Barry's talking about the, production, actual production. Yeah, I, I don't know what Camille right, and, and that's that's certainly what I was alluding. Yeah. That's what I was alluding to. Vaccine production and vaccine production separate from the rest of the pharmaceuticals industry is particularly challenging because of the incentives that exist there. Like the the profitability of those drugs versus the amount of time that it takes to develop them yeah. um, is particularly I'm talking bad. about, I don't know about vaccines. I'm talking about like basic antibiotics get made in mm-hmm. China to an overwhelming degree. Yeah. I mean, China, I mean, in India, there's a lot of places. It's like 97% of antibiotics in the United States get made in China. I read this too. I am totally not worried about that. Have, have we had a shortage of antibiotics because of Yeah. That? Have we had a shortage? Are they poisoning the antibiotics? Probably. Are they poisoning the vaccines? <laughs> like, what are you worried about? What's going to happen? Yeah. Yeah. No, seriously, Camille, what's going to happen? <laughs> you, you pose the question. What what is Peter? What is Peter worried that's going to happen oh, because they're making our fucking vaccines? I mean, really, Matt? Seriously? What do your like, Silicon what Valley you? overlords tell you the next line in your script is, Camille? <laughs> I, let's talk about, can we just talk about could reason be donors instead? Uh, it could be Peter um, Welch. <laughs> what is Peter Welch worried about? Because I could tell you some of that. No, it's, look, it's I, I, I share I share your impulses. I, as I said, was playing, uh, largely playing devil's advocate there, but also I think it, articulating some of the growing concern that I have and at least expressing sentiments that I think have some legitimacy. It is right. certainly the case so, that there's so a like, vulnerability in the supply but chain but let's that develop we, it. we like, perhaps what? haven't talked about before. Okay, and let's talk. it is probably what, a good idea to it? diversify some of that. But what, but what is the worry? Like seriously, the, what is the tangible worry? In this particular case, a, a massive disruption, a massive global disruption centered in China has in many respects introduced a lot of friction into the global production system because we all depend so heavily on China for the manufacturing and production of lots and lots of important things, including vaccines and antibiotics, which are in large part manufactured outside of the United States, as I said, for complex reasons. I think there's probably things that you can do about it. Some of it is almost certainly regulatory, which would probably bring some of that stuff home and perhaps there is a role for the feds there in terms of doing something to sort of backstop the gap. I don't even know that that's the case or even necessary, but I'm, I'm open to having those conversations. But let, I, ta- I guess what I was getting at. Tangibilize the word friction and what, what it's, what it's doing for you. Tangibilize. So it's exposed. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> <that. Okay. laughs> 
That's a great <laughs> verb. You're done. I'm You're sorry. out. You lost I, this debate. I'm here. I'm here. I understand inventing. You, I understand you. I inventing <laughs> the English language. No, but like, what does that mean? What is what is uh, what does friction mean in a way that is negative or worrying? Um, and I'm asking that not as a debate thing, but actually to educate. Yeah, dumb I mean, fuck I, over here. I think in no, I think in this particular circumstance, a very unusual, perhaps once in a century circumstance, all of our production being in China, given the the likelihood that China is suff- going to suffer additional uh, waves of infection that may in fact further delay production, like it is, it is a very particular kind of vulnerability to the entire global economy and specifically to the United States economy because we're a part of the global economy. And, and that's the friction that I'm talking about there. And um, this production and of everything or production of, of like sectors or what, what, what do you Certainly pr- production of things in this particular case, all of the personal protective equipment that we've talked about, like okay. the manufacture of that stuff happens overseas and not here in the United States. To the extent you want to prioritize that in some way, I guess it becomes harder. But it's not obvious to me that if we had, you know, a half dozen face mask factories here in the U.S., we would actually be dramatically or profoundly better off. Um, but again, I'm, I was positing an argument. It's a bit of devil's advocate. I'm not going to be able to level the best argument well, the, for I think that, the prosecution. I think because I'm not one the of them. Point people. that that is obvious and standing right in front of us, and, and no one's really raised is that. Is that the China needs the United States? Um, be- well, this is because true. Of, Absolutely, you know this these growth goals that they've had year over year and year over year, um, and yeah. it's getting harder to meet those. And if if the United States and its European partners too, who we can when we don't have a completely psychopathic president, can usually get on board with things. Um, if mm-hmm. that if there was um, a union of of the European Union. And the United States uh, putting pressure on China. A lot of that happens anyway, but we don't we don't hear about it so much. We do hear about the concessions that are made in private business that don't have a ton of leverage over China. The NBA just wants to make money, and China is a huge market, mm. so they can do whatever the fuck China wants. Whereas the global supply of drugs, which relies upon cash coming from coming into China, not cash coming out of China like the NBA, is you know a vulnerability for China too. So that, that's mm-hmm. the first thing. The second thing is the, the point that you made. Sure. Um, and I recommend everyone, because I was unaware of this, but um, I don't know if I mentioned his name. I shouldn't mention his name, but I interviewed Andrew Lowe the other day, um, the MIT economist, um, who's a brilliant, brilliant guy and just a lovely guy, too. Um, and, you know, I, from my, my, my sense from Andrew Lowe is um, he's, in, he's, in, he's nobody's sort of libertarian when it comes to economics. But, you know, he's generally, as most of these people are, um, on the side of free markets more than he is on the side of of making the United States into um, a Chavista wonderland. But he's done a lot of work on vaccines, particularly on the fact that they take a long time to develop and there's really no money in them. And that's, mm-hmm. you know, what, what level of government intervention. Um, and he, he has various answers and various things, but it's really, really interesting stuff to look up Andrew Lowe's stuff on vaccines. And if you'd asked me six months ago, I'd be sitting here in a fucking podcast on Zoom, which I didn't even know what it was. I thought it was a fucking kids' TV show from PBS in the seventies, which it was. Um, so, it's terrible. so terrible! It's so terrible! terrible. And from Boston, it's too. from Boston. Right. WGBH, whatever, dude. Fucking Barry's <laughs> watching it up there now, um, and fucking wherever she is. But I, I, but if you were saying it was like in talking about the economy of vaccines. I would have put a pistol in my mouth and decorated the wall behind me with the results. Wait, what are the things we know about this? What we know about this 
And we've only, you know, the, the reporting to this has only just started. I'm sure we're going to get to the sources in the Wuhan Virology Lab shortly, which is why I'm on this call. Um, go, go there, Barry. Take us there. <laughs> no, but the thing is, we know from this, you know, we it's been reported everywhere that China majorly covered up this virus in the critical mm. early weeks and days. And according to that, I think it was the University of Southampton study, it was something insane. Like they showed what would have happened if China acted a week earlier, two weeks earlier, three weeks earlier. And it was something like 95% of deaths could have been avoided. I could look up the numbers. My point is like a country that is willing to do that and put the entire world at risk in order to cover its own ass is one that scares me fundamentally. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I, don't, I don't think it's like so much more complicated than that. There's an untrustworthy, beastly authoritarian regime making our stuff. And who knows how that's going to be bad, but it just must probably be bad. Well, first of all, there's like you know, the obvious moral quandary of the fact that, you know, a lot of our stuff is produced by what can only be called slave labor as you know, as those notes that, you know, people discover in like the Walmart, you know, that famous one from the Walmart purse where the woman, you know, buys, there's one of these like every six months, every year, and they go viral and then everyone goes back to ordering their cheap shit. Um, but, you know, you open up the, the toy that you get for your kid for Christmas and it's a note from someone in like a prison camp talking about how they, you know, have to work 16 hour days and are beaten and have no salt or oil or rice. And everyone's like, oh my God, that's horrible. And then they, get numb to it again. So there's the moral question of that. But then it's also like, you know, we we're talking a lot about, and I'm thinking a lot about what is essential. You know, the four of us are not essential, but there are people that essential. are essential and there are things that are, I mean, we're essential, but you know what I mean? There, there, there are goods that are clearly more essential than other goods. And I don't think it's crazy or, um, I don't know what, what fancy economic word you, you guys, the libertarians would use for this. I, I just, I don't think it's crazy to think about what are the essential goods that we know that if God forbid should hit the fan with China or the global supply chain that we could not live without. Like, is why is that such a crazy question to ask? I'm I'm adamantly you know on Matt's side on this, but I will I will agree with Barry on on in one sense is that we do have a a real life example. It has not hurt us. It has not you know we are not you know looking for antibiotics and you know have our tin cup out. But it was last month or this month when India, the Indian government said, we are going to stop. It is required by law now to stop exporting, you know, 20 or 30 um, drug, either, either drugs or ingredients for drugs. And most of them are antibiotics. Um, so that that is actually something that can happen. And, and, you know, whoever said in that same article, we will have to wait in line with everybody else, it's much easier to have our own supply of things because we don't have to wait in line with everybody else in a global pandemic. Um, that's I, I get the I get the the argument there. The funny thing is 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 it if if it's one shitty authoritarian country, if we if we don't do it there, we do it somewhere else. And if you see after Trump's ridiculous tariffs, there were drug companies that moved their production from China, but they moved them to Vietnam. And they, some of them moved to Mexico. Yeah. Uh, the drug mm-hmm. that I take that, that keeps me alive is produced in Puerto Rico, which the, the supply was interrupted by the hurricane. Um, in the United States, France, and one place in Italy. Because um, it's very, mm-hmm. very tough to, to produce insulin and it has to be done in a very particular way. So I don't get any of that from China. Nothing that I take to keep me alive actually comes from China. But you know, when, when that production moves from China because of these tariffs, 
Trump is a dummy and it doesn't come home. These are these, these were terrorists against against stuff coming in from China. And there was it was not necessarily the case. If it was coming in from, you know, Mexico or, or, or Vietnam. So there was production moved. But it's really, really difficult to, to soup to not start producing that in the United States. And it just doesn't seem like there's there's much of a, a need for it at the moment. But I can see worst case scenario. Sure. You're going to hoard all the drugs. And when when, you know, it's battlefield earth and everything's collapsing. Yeah, you know, <laughs> right. I'm not worried about that quite yet. I co-sign Barry the the concern, especially about the moral issues, like the the stuff with the Uyghurs we've been talking about for years and years and years, and it's a situation that hasn't actually been addressed, and in many respects seems to have become more of a problem. I mean, it was an earlier this year that we were seeing reports of Uyghur slave labor being used in factories where brands as important as Nike um, were reported to be doing manufacturing and. It, it doesn't seem to raise nearly the level of concern that I would h- hope that it does. Um, and in many respects, as China's economic clout has grown and as China has gained more influence in the UN and in the World Health Organization and in various other spheres, they have actively worked to undermine the civil liberties that all of us value. And I don't think enough Americans are aware of that. And that is certainly something that is is disconcerting to me. Um, but how you check that while remaining integrated, because I do think that having uh, economic intercourse with China is to our advantage. And I, <laughs> I mean that's that a, in a that's literal a Teddy sense. You know, that's Teddy Pendergrass. Going to fuck China. <laughs> going to get up in China. If that's what it takes. Could you imagine, by the way, if the United States treated its Muslim population the way the Chinese government uh, treats the Uyghur population? Could you imagine? Could you imagine a French film ever saying like, yeah, we're going to we're going to open in America. There'd be like protests against all this stuff. Yeah. Nobody cares. The NBA doesn't care. Uh, Hollywood doesn't care. That we it is it is, you know, I guess the soft bigotry of low expectations. But I, I imagine that the United States did half of that. You know, I, I'm sure there's probably more complaints in Le Monde or Liberation about the eight fat guys left in Guantanamo than there are about the, <laughs> the hundreds of thousands of Uyghurs that are that are being rounded up and, and put into re-education camps. Or even all of the people that are, you know, talking rightly about, you know, racism that's caused by calling it the Wuhan virus. You know, have they said a word about this, you know, southern Chinese, I forget if it's a province or a city, that is, you know, evicting black people from their apartments, not letting them walk into McDonald's. I mean, it's like mm. the most despicable kind of racism. But McDonald's did uh, issue a clarifying st- statement today, a uh, very noble of them that said black people are allowed in McDonald's in China. Yeah, <laughs> yes, <laughs> that's good. Congratulations, uh, McDonald's. They're holding. They're holding the line. Yeah. I didn't expect this to become the Sinology uh, podcast, but here we are. It's because you've become I'm a China just- hog, Camille. No kidding. Not a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, You're the Gordon Chang of this podcast. I would add. <laughs> oh, my Jesus. God. Have you been? <laughs> we, did he yes, write a book in 2001 called like The Coming Collapse of China? Yes. Who do you guys um, think of this Isaac Stonefish? I really like his Twitter feed. Who's Isaac Stonefish? I don't know. Sounds like a children's book author. I know. He's not. He's, he, he writes about China a lot. I follow Isaac him. Isaac Stonefish. Ah. I don't know. Yeah, that's I a, that's a follow for everybody then. I'll, I'll okay. look him up. I'll look him up and check it and check. I'll let you know if he's acceptable. Uh, I will say this. There's, I think that there's a gap. There's, there's a lane in between um, the Barry kind of um, perhaps the 
caricaturized or, or shaped a view of people who said that trade makes everyone more free or makes everyone more d- democratic. I don't think it was everyone, whatever, but like, no, but like, common, just I, you know, let, let me, let me finish the, the thought. I, it's a little, just a little thing. Uh, and, and, drinking and, two and, drinks, by the way, two drinks, two, <laughs> same time. I can see need on be, his little face. Need to be a little face. Ain't little, <laughs> little red running. face. This is the quarantined <laughs> red face. Swelling like WC up. Field. <laughs> uh, listen, it's the angle. Uh, it's the light is the angle. No, it's, uh, that, most countries who have joined the international trading system, and by most, I mean like 99%, um, have not gotten more despotic as a result. The conditions of people who work for them, the labor conditions of people who work for them have not gotten worse. It isn't a race to the bottom. It is frequently, commonly portrayed in the universal democratic left, uh, the Bernie Sanders, Jeremy Corbyn left, to say that international trade is a race to the bottom. We're hearing this more on the kind of the Josh Hawley right in America, if that's a thing. Um, generally speaking, that is not true. Just as generally speaking, trade makes people free. It's going to lead to democracy is also not true. Both things are not true. And I think that there's plenty of space in between all of that to say that trade is a messy, complicated, but better rather than worse mechanism for improving people's lives and that there are other ways to address adjudicate shame and and most people uh have been falling down on the job of doing that uh sometimes in the name of increasing that very trade which i otherwise support and one correction matt jeremy corbyn does not care about trade unless there are jews involved in it so just to be clear (laughs) it's he's really interested in jewish trade um, yeah. you know, it's just an issue. I didn't know it was an issue, but, uh, but very big in England. So, so we'll get back to that in a different podcast. <laughs> um, I, this Isaac Stonefish character, at some point he wrote something I really liked Barry, and I followed him on Twitter. So he, he must be okay. Yeah. I, I, anyway, um, following all these, you know, China watchers. In the well, we, yeah, me, me too. Uh, as of, as of late, actually it's Hong Kong did this to me. I already didn't like China. Hong Kong made me hate China yeah. with the passion of a thousand sons. Um, speaking of hating China and finding reasons to hate China, as Barry has teased several times, <laughs> there is fresh reporting today, um, this evening, actually, which I haven't even had an opportunity to read all the way through. Um, but the, the title says, uh, sources believe coronavirus originated in Wuhan lab as part of China's effort to compete with the U.S. This is uh, from Brett Baer at Fox News. Um, there's someone else uh, who's also credited here, but we don't care about that person. Brett Baer. So all you need to know, trusted name in news. No, but it, I know you didn't watch the yeah. Trump presser, but the, the main thing that I saw that came out of it was um, one of the Fox guys asked him about this. John Roberts, conference. yeah. 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 And Trump was like, we'll see, I believe was his answer. I'm sure he elaborated. <laughs> we'll see. Yeah. So what do you guys think? So, so like this was the story sort of pushed really early on by that guy, whoever it is. I think it's a hedge funder that runs zero hedge oh, that yeah. blog. He was banned from Twitter for talking about it. Um, I think also because he mentioned an employee or two that actually worked in the Wuhan lab. But this was largely dismissed as something for crackpots and conspiracy theorists and crazies. Um, There's a sort of spectrum, it seems to me, of the people who 
those who were sort of pushing the idea that this was an intentional biological weapon. Yeah, that's ridiculous. Which I which I think is ridiculous. ridiculous. And then the the and then the other the the softer version of that, which seemed to be this is a lab that is close proximity to the wet markets, which are already sort of petri dishes. Petri dishes, exactly, of live bats and all sorts of other things that human beings probably shouldn't be eating. Um, mm-hmm. And that perhaps this was some kind of mistake where, you know, a lab technician maybe sold an animal that had been tested on and that animal released it and blah, 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 blah. So a lot of that stuff has been swirling among a lot of intelligent people I know for the past two months. And I don't know if we consider Fox mainstream or not mainstream anymore, but this is certainly, to my mind, a big deal that this has bubbled up to this level at this point. A couple of things about it is that, you know, um, three problems with this is why it's probably not worth commenting on the substance of the report right now. Is, because there are no actual well, sources. Well, it's sources believe Fox News. All those things is like Fox News shot its credibility in the foot like ages ago. So I don't know. But to the, the it is a, it is an important point that you make is that to delineate the crackpot stuff of like this is a bioweapon, et cetera, to that. I mean, so just like I discount Fox News because of a lot of the crappy quote unquote mm-hmm. reporting they've done in the past and the crappy television that they've produced. Um, you know, I also discount any Chinese government stories. Also, they they have no credibility either. So if they Michael, de- they've had no deaths in several weeks. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No one, no one's ever, no one's actually ever died in China, which is interesting. I was unaware of that until recently. But the the thing about it is that is that is it believable that it passed in a lab? You know, because we know this has actually been reported by reputable people that the American intelligence community and I think, you know, uh, maybe not the intelligence community, people in China talking to the United States government said, there's something a little off about this lab, particularly when it comes to safety. This has well, come this up a number Josh of times. Rogan scoop from yesterday. Exactly. In the Washington State Post. State Department yeah. cables from 2018. Yeah. The State Department cables. I mean, these are not, I mean, these are career diplomats, you know, they're, they're not foreseeing this and like, let's blame China before the fact. I mean, this seems completely reasonable. And it's also completely reasonable that with this shoddy practices, that if they are researching these coronaviruses, that it might, as we know, I mean, we don't want to, we're not allowed to go outside for Christ's sake. We know it can infect people fairly, fairly easily. So it doesn't Mm -hmm. shock me that that would actually be a thing where it is shocking. So it's completely plausible. I mean, I think it's totally plausible. As when it becomes something that is deliberate or, you know, some of the wilder conspiracy mm-hmm. theories is that, you know, people's motivations are to kind of, you know, sort of push blame from one party to another. Fine. I don't care, provided what we know is what we know is true. We're never going to find out that truth because we're dealing with the Chinese government. But is it plausible? Yeah, sure. Perfectly plausible. What does it get us at this point? Not a ton, because the Chinese didn't acquit themselves well if it didn't happen this way. Exactly. It doesn't matter how it happened. They've been, they've and, been horrible. And the fact that the wet markets are even, that, that in a country, I think, I think Bill Maher said it, like in a country that somehow managed to successfully implement a one-child policy with its ironclad rule, that they have not been able to shut down these wet markets, which are you know where all of these viruses have come from, is ridiculous. They banned the sale of... Uh, cats and dogs, I think, today in one province I saw this morning on the the, the wire, and so I mean that's a, some acknowledgement that this is a uh, a uh, 
hot point for viruses, Jeez. right? Um, oh my god! Yeah, well, I just saw, but that's the news story. I didn't. I didn't. <laughs> I had, Camille, I, you, I, I'll look it up. Camille, you pay attention to this stuff super close ever since the uh, Hong Kong life changing experience that the Fifth Column <laughs> podcast listeners are desperate for. Have heard you mention a lot us about it uh, over the years. Uh, constantly, but um, but you also pay attention to the extent to which the government has cracked down on the spread of information, whether through the media, whether just like doctors wanting to talk. Can you give us a Reader's Digest summary of the exertions that that government has uh, taken in order to suppress information so far? With respect to this particular outbreak? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like just over the last four months, like uh, or, or just kind of characterize it even like just since you you look at it more closely than I do. Um, part of me teeing that up in that way is to say that um, there's a natural reaction, um, maybe 15 percent of which I share, um, which is when you see Trump or people surrounding Trump uh, want to make the conversation about China and the Chinese government. And it's going to be the Wuhan virus. And that's the WHO for collaborating with China. There's an instinct from people to say, aha, you're trying to make me chase the squirrel and I'm not a dog. Um, at the same time, the uh, Chinese government has absolutely where this thing started, as far as we can tell, um, has absolutely suppressed information. Who knows mm -hmm. exactly what happened? I'm actually open to probably more conspiracies than the serious anti-Chinese people <laughs> on this podcast, um, because who the hell knows anymore how the world works? But um, part of that calculation is. Uh, that it's amazing the lengths that they've gone to to suppress information. So well, hopefully you can speak I don't, to that. I don't know that I can add a great deal of color here because there's a, a lot we don't know. Um, I, I think the, the first thing that we can say is that the response has been characteristic um, in that they clamp down pretty quickly. Uh, but from some of the reporting that I've read about this, uh, a lot of what was happening in these like WhatsApp groups where doctors early on were talking about the symptoms that they were seeing started to emerge is that there was self-censorship going on. That people were concerned. Um, the hero doctor who often gets name checked, whose name unfortunately I'm forgetting at the moment, as I understand it, he wasn't actively going out and spreading a bunch of information about this. The the contents of these WhatsApp conversations or these group texts essentially got out. That's amazing. Like already in December in China, you couldn't Google like you know Wuhan seafood market, right? And this is, but this is about par for the course for them. Like they, yeah. they clamp down quickly. They make it impossible for you to find things online. Their, their great firewall in country has become a lot more effective. The second thing is what they've done externally um, in response to all of this. And it's a bit of a, a charm offensive. Um, they've been very active about pushing a narrative globally, and the World Health Organization, unsurprisingly, has parroted the same line that what we need to focus on is not placing blame, it's cooperation with China. Early on, they did try a bit of redirection, suggestions that maybe this came from Italy, maybe the United States is behind it. Now they've pivoted pretty firmly to why are we trying to figure out who is responsible for this? What we need is cooperation. You had the ambassador of China who has published an opinion piece in a major American newspaper. It's less than a month after the Chinese government has thrown out journalists from the New York Times, the Wall Street Journal, the Washington Post. Like There is a bizarre 
contrast when the Chinese government can essentially have a person in the White House directly asking the president questions who works for what is, in effect, a state-owned media outfit. And she's not merely asking questions. She's regurgitating talking points from the aforementioned opinion piece. It's, it's quite insane uh, what's taking place here. I, I think it's also worth noting that that was the exchange to the extent you saw this um, uh, about a week ago where the president says to a young woman in the White House, who do you work for? Do you work for China? Um, to which she responds, no, no, I work for a media outlet in Hong Kong, which of course is in fact part owned by the Chinese government. Phoenix. Yeah. That whole Phoenix offensive, TV, the initial suppression, the second wave of denial, and then the third wave of there's nothing to see here. Let's all cooperate. Let's all work together. And their effectiveness in doing all of this is pretty, uh, pretty alarming as well. This is what people don't remember or, or tend to forget about the, sh the complete abject shittiness of Donald Trump is that, you know, you have that moment. Imagine a president with half a brain on his head who confronts somebody and says, you know, wait a second, these a bit slightly suspicious questions. We just had journalists thrown out of China. Where, where, where do you come from? And you go through it. Even if that was well executed, it is then undercut by the completely insane insane yeah. press conference that he had the other day, which is utter madness. I couldn't even watch. It was too embarrassing. Mm. It was like, you know, that the secondhand embarrassment that you get from things like that. I, I was like, I could that. not. I, I never experienced that. Like, actually. <laughs> like <laughs> when he was like the it. substitute teacher putting on, you know, karate kid. Yeah. And he's like, hold on. I got, I got some shit. I'm going to show you. <laughs> You're all going to love this. And it's like attacking. And it's like, Hey, if you want to neutralize Jim Acosta and the people that you hate, like the um, PBS woman, like who I always, I always forget her name. Um, if you want to neutralize people like that, stop giving them so much material. Amish? Yes. Yeah. Cause that, I mean, she's become his, his one of his new adversaries. Yeah. And, you know, I get that there's, as I've said in the past, that there, there's a lot of people playing a little game here, right? They're, they're, they're doing a, a little Acosta impression and it gets on the news and people know who they are now. And I, fine. But at the same time, the questions often are very appropriate and, you know, would not blow up into what they blow up into if Donald Trump would actually respond. Uh, not like a petulant child who has trouble comprehending the basics of the English language. But, you know, this is amazing to me when you see this China exchange. It's totally lost because Donald Trump makes sure it's lost. I mean, I don't know if it's a myth. I don't know if there's any truth to it, but these checks going out. That you know, Donald Trump wants his name on all of them. I don't know. Yes. That appears to be true. Yeah, <laughs> that is a bit of malignant narcissism combined with horrible political expediency. I mean, I get that we want to have USAID on the bags of fucking rice, but you know, when you're sending, oh, she's running for president. She wants Americans to look like, and say, "Ah, I got a thousand dollars from Donald exactly. Trump." Exactly. And it's like, he is the reason you're in this situation now. <laughs> and he is going to get you out of this situation. Quite, quite a clever thing. You know, it's like the Richard Jewell scenario. I planted the bomb and I'm going to defuse it too. Richard Jewell wasn't guilty, by the way. Was, uh, <laughs> Eric, uh, Eric uh, Rudolph. I, I know we're, I know we're, I know we're doing our, you know, hits on the media, which I'm happy to participate in. Uh, but do you think he's going to win again? I'm just curious where you guys are today. I have no idea. 
no idea. I, I uh, think it. I think it is still entirely possible, but I don't. I don't yeah, do the yeah, prognostication yeah. beyond that. I, obviously, Justin Amash is going to win. So, <laughs> yeah. Oh my God, is he running? Here's my prediction, which I'll do it on a podcast instead of uh, in print. So it's harder to find. Um, <laughs> he turns forty on Saturday. Do you remember the day that he left the Republican Party? I do. It was July fourth. He's he's that kind of guy. So it's uh you know he's making a stink this week and like mailed out to the twelve people who are on his uh, press list this morning of like uh you know I've actually been thinking about this a lot for the last two months and I'm going to make a decision soon you know period uh, hmm. okay so you want to you want to pay attention to me over <laughs> questions here? nobody wants answered <laughs> so yeah uh, yeah I think I think uh, there's a seventy eight percent chance that he's going to run. Um, and there's a 0% oh. chance they'll get 1% of the vote. I can confirm, uh, since it wasn't um, off the record at all, that I was contacted some weeks back and asked if I would do things for the campaign if, in fact, he decided to run. So By who? I, I won't, I won't say more than that. Um, but I definitely think it's possible. And maybe it's one of those, I'll do it for the country, because if I can siphon off a, a few votes, maybe that would be be good for his opponent let's let's make some news right now camille foster if yeah justin Amash wanted you to be his running mate his running mate yeah <laughs> would you say yes if he asked you you're the stacy abrams <sighs> of libertarian ticket baby <sighs> yeah would you say, say yeah. yes i'd say yeah yeah that'd be fun wow yeah that'd be fun all right all yeah. right i mean I'm, I'm not saying i would do a lot but hold on. quarantined camille who would he be siphoning off the votes from though non-black Black people, <laughs> Donald Trump, anarchists, probably, no. probably Donald who hate Trump. China, probably Donald yeah. Trump. Um, but I don't know. I don't know. It's a, it's a weird. Camille, you should cycle. leave that part of the ticket there for like Earth Child or whatever. The hell the, the child. You don't he want me to do it, child. You don't want me to do yeah, it. I don't know. I think it might be cut into the podcast. And you want to give some other guy who has, you know, a, some other LARPer uh, the, opportunity, the opportunity. Am I a LARPer? To run. No, that's why you shouldn't do it. You should get somebody who's like really into Dungeons and Dragons and was like 600 pounds. Yeah, no, I, that's th I think we could make the some LP noise. convention. I'm sorry. I've watched it on C-SPAN. Matt goes because I don't know why. No, no, no. It's like part, it's Amash Foster would probably get like maybe five, ten percent. Honestly, like yeah, seriously, yeah, right. there's a yeah. lot of charisma on that yeah. ticket. I mean, it's mostly me. A lot of charisma. But there's a lot of yeah. charisma. Um, I don't know. <laughs> the, the real the real question here is like, what is going on with Joe Biden? I mean, this week Barack Obama finally comes out on video and uh, he talks for like eleven minutes about old Joe and uh, how he old would Joe? approach. <laughs> <laughs> he would approach a, a campaign. I saw Joe Biden today very animatedly talking about how he always wears his mask outside even when he goes out there to talk to the Secret Service. And I said, that's really good, Joe, because you are actually in the most vulnerable demographic. You look super frail. Um, I, I don't know. Do, do you, Camille, do you believe, Barry Weiss, do you believe that Joe Biden is not a man who will just sniff your hair, but he is a man who has done worse things mm. In his time, which is which has gotten a little bit of press. The, the your newspaper, the New York Times, uh, did a uh, piece uh, reporting it out and finding that um, that there wasn't they didn't think there was a ton of merit to this. Um, which I, I I found the New York Times piece fairly convincing. Well, I don't but I don't like that sort of thing because I believe women 
And she said it happened. And that means it happened. And even this thought that we need to investigate that, like a claim of racism, is completely unacceptable and totally what I expect from a cisgender white male like you. I, well, I know, but obviously, am I? Am, am I <laughs> is that convincing? I, that, I, that, was that persuasive? That, I have a. That means I got the thing. Totally. Exactly. That's down. That's what I'm flapping. Right? Okay. Yeah. I'm serious. Well, yes. all right. We're being very yes. presumptive. Um, I've been hiding a lot of things. Um, I'm fighting with Graham Linehan on Twitter all the time. That's a deep cut for the transgender uh, debaters. Uh, Graham Linehan is no, a guy, a uh, Irish comedian who wrote the very funny show Father Ted, who has re- very left wing guy remade himself as uh, the public enemy number one in the UK of transgender activists. It's a very, very strange transition to use a, an appropriate really? word. Yeah, yeah, it's really strange. But um, but yeah, I don't. I, I, the other thing is that I see a lot of shitty people on both sides of this, and all of a sudden people are are uh, believing women who didn't before. I have not paid as much attention as I should to the Tara Reid story, but my dad keeps sending me DMs about it. So I, I know I need to check it Ugh, out. I mean, are you paying attention to the election broadly, though? Are you actually able to do that right now? Sort of. I'm, I'm more yeah. just like, how are we going to have an election? Like, I, yeah. I, I don't I don't really understand how this is going to work. Certainly not by mail, because the president doesn't like that. Right. I heard that. Mm. I don't know. Yeah. Broadly speaking, am I paying attention to it? Sure. But I'm also like, is it March 49? Like, <laughs> yeah. Yes. The answer yeah. is yes. For you yes. Uh, listeners at home, <laughs> I will tell you something. We are doing this on a Zoom call. And so I have the privilege of yeah. seeing you very well in front of me. And I do want to tell you that what you hear in her voice hot? is actually reflected in the way she looks Radiant. She now looks like she's been on a commune. Yeah. She is like Janis Joplin kind of hair. Um, she's painting her body. It's like very, very spiritual. I don't know. It's like lots of smoke but in the background. Might be incense of some hot. sort. Okay. Hot. Fucking babe, and she's not just hot, not just horizontal, but I, I think she's hot and thin. I think she's inverted. I think she's she's tilting towards upside down. This is right I want now. I she's want to be clear that I was just joking, but this is actually true. That this podcast is exhausted, Barry Weiss. <laughs> that she's now lying in bed with the laptop precariously placed <laughs> on a shoulder or something. Her lovely <laughs> significant oh, other right no. next to her. This is playing, this is the part this, uh, really this is the part where I break Pokemon into Teddy Pendergrass. Like that is what happens now, right? <laughs> <laughs> this is what happens. Guys, rub <laughs> me down with some hot oil, baby. Mm-hmm. And I'll do the same thing to you. I'm loving it. Pretty good. I get tired at like 9.30 at night these days. What's changed? Are you like, did you take Adderall no, before or something? Sorry, these are you? stressful times, Moynihan. I, no, I, I wake up all night every few hours. But are you panicking? No, I don't feel that I'm panicking, but obviously my body is sending me some kind of signal and I get up at like 6 or 6.30. Do you like wake up in the middle of the night just like speaking Mandarin and just and like just go back to sleep? Yeah. And it's like it's actually fluent. That was very strange. How did you learn that? Oh my god. In the wilds of Massachusetts. Um you're by the way, and you're close to a friend of ours, a mutual friend of ours. I, I don't think Barry wants us to talk about where she- I'm not there's nothing, there's nothing identifying about that. I think she probably probably knows who I'm talking okay. about. But just down the road, there's a there's a friend. So, oh, and if you don't know who I'm talking, was that? Yeah. He's, yeah. Yeah, but he's not here. 
Oh, well, uses a uses house. Apparently, it's quite nice. Um, <laughs> yeah. So I'm just I'm offering <laughs> good. people's houses right now. Andrew so Sullivan has been on fire. He's so he, good. Who said that to me? I, the other day? I did. Oh, Camille yeah. on was like fire. This if man is on fire. Justice in the world, he would win a Pulitzer Prize. He he is. Mm. He's been unbelievable. What is, what is the most fire piece? That has come from the pen of of Andrew Sullivan. I know Camille has an opinion. On no, there every every Friday is indispensable. Every single one. Um, and and what I love most about Andrew, I, I think what I said to you explicitly is, um, I even when I disagree, I thoroughly enjoy reading him. And there is never a time when I read a column of his that I don't learn something. Um, so mm-hmm. it, always indispensable on Friday. I love, I love the how to survive a plague. I mean, they, mm. the, the, his most recent one on the conscious uncoupling with China was brilliant. Yeah, I mean, it was great. They, they have just been unbelievable. The fact that he is at New York Magazine is also the most hilarious thing. To me. Well, God knows how long that will last. Um, he was welcome during the Obama years, and then the Obama years ended, and they said, "Oh, wait, Andrew's going to change his mind." It's like, yeah, that's what Andrew does. <laughs> um, but the the thing that's interesting, and and I find it valuable in reading Andrew's writing now, is that I like the end of the blog era because you know it's like a friend of mine who's a painter, and if he doesn't sell something from a show, they burn the stock, and you know, they get they just destroy it because they don't want too much in the market, right? It's just you know it's you see it everywhere. You stop valuing it, and I think that was the case with Andrew for a while. Is that he was writing so much? I mean, he was it was like this mass produced stuff, and he had an opinion on everything. And now that he's much more targeted, uh, and he's and he's such a great writer too. So it's it's a joy to actually read uh, Andrew's sentences now, which it was in the past, but he he was doing a, he was doing too much, I think. I think that's uh, absolutely right. It's a good observation. Well, thank you, Matt. That's the first time you've ever said anything like that. <laughs> I know. I don't I must yeah. be old. tipsy it's over. It's usually here. some anti-Irish comment <laughs> that uh, ends with Irish. That's usually my, doesn't fight. That's my wife. We've, but. we've been going for a little while, so we should probably um, start to pack this in soon. Matt, one thing you mentioned in our email thread or text thread at some point today is the bailouts that are under discussion. I know there's been talk this week about the airline industry, which is obviously struggling for various reasons and perhaps may be getting big bags of cash, not may, will. Um, but it sounds like some United people- States government's going to own 5% of American Airlines. Which is, I mean, wow. There you that's go. just great. There you go. I mean, who doesn't want to own a company that simply cannot go out of business? Things get rocky, you will get a massive bailout <laughs> from the government. It's just, that's great. I mean, it's pretty much the post yeah. office. Where's Spirit Air in all of this, yeah. by the way? Barry, Barry has a flight. Barry has a flight booked to Biloxi that she's just doesn't want to miss out on. It's only, only Good upside. God. Only upside. Um, it sounds like there might be some some media outlets that are destined for similar treatment. I, they're not destined for similar treatment. They're destined for similar asks, and they'll probably be Who's rebuffed asking? if you. Uh, the uh, media guild that represents the workers, the L.A. Times, which just did huge uh, furloughs. Mm. I saw somewhere, I think maybe it was in the New York Times uh, this week, that 28,000 uh, journalism jobs have been lost already in this process. And this is after a decade, 10, 15 years of huge losses mm. of particularly newspapers and <clears throat> local TV news outlets and things like that. Um this, there was a similar uh, hue and cry after the financial crisis in 2008, 2009 of people 
uh, asking for journalism bailouts. Um, and then the argument against was a little bit easier, which was to say that newspapers in particular, up until just a few years before the financial crisis, had averaged profit margins of more than 20 percent for about three or four decades. Mm -hmm. It was like literally the most profitable it was printing money. No, yeah. it was printing yeah. money. It was Walmart is happy to make five or seven percent profit margins and newspapers like, you know, if 20, that's not very much, but like 27 Gannett can really squeeze it. So it was a, a, a particularly noxious uh, concept in 2009. Now there's more of a sob story associated with it. And, and I, uh, a rush to say that, you know, this is the LA Times Guild that I'm talking about here. I write a column for the LA Times. I used to work there. I have great sympathy for my colleagues in the industry. It's it's tough going. It's not fun. Um, and that said, in addition to the economic arguments against, there's just always um, a, a relearning that has to be done in the United States. We have less of a government uh, financial involvement in the media sphere here on a percentage basis than pretty much anywhere in what we used to call the first world or the industrialized West or however you want to put it, OECD countries. Uh, we don't have a big BBC in the middle of things. We do have PBS and NPR, but even that there's a lot of uh, private money involved with it. Um, it's just, there isn't a, you don't have to, you don't have to rent your TV from the government to, to, to keep the, uh, the, the local, uh, journalism outlets alive. And as a direct result of that, we have some of the best, thickest and most vibrant and financially successful journalism in the world and have for a really, really long time. Even if it doesn't always look the same as it did in 1988, where you had that gigantic, um, you know, hometown newspaper monopoly and a couple of big TV stations locally. It looks different. It, it, it but yeah, that that, that conversation was always talking about bailing out newspapers, right? But what do we do now? I mean, you know, are we going to bail out Bustle? <laughs> Bustle.com? Yeah. Does that does that get bailout money? I mean, I mean, like seriously, like I mean, who is are they furloughing people? Over at Bustle, at Bitch Magazine, is that? Are we got a uh, fork up for that? The, the answer is. I mean, the answer who's is making yes. these decisions? The answer is yes. Well, yeah. I mean, who's making these decisions? It's like, well, the LA Times serves the LA metro area. It's like, well, Bustle <laughs> serves a lot of people who annoy me on Twitter. I mean, they gotta have their pound of flesh too. I mean, which is why ultimately it's not going to happen. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, um, uh, so we can take uh, uh, pride or delight in in that, and that's no, you know, nothing meant in disrespect towards Bustle. Uh, but oh, it's mine more was that, definitely with a yeah, lot yeah, yeah. of disrespect <laughs> dripping in that sarcasm. No, it's moment. that yeah. it's typical, that journalism typical. companies are among the most hated uh, in in the, the entire, uh, or like it's the profession that's most despised. But like the New York Times, Barry's employer has done pretty well. I mean, the president likes to say it's fake news and it's failing and whatever. <laughs> and granted, it's, it is fake news, but it ain't yeah. failing. Yeah. Uh, totally. For crying out loud. Um, fake news. Like, <laughs> the shape of journalism ch changes constantly. And the more you put government in it, the worse off I it gives. I give gets, money so to it. the New York Times, despite the fact that it's Fake news, as, as do and I. And the fact that, like, I mean, like, we don't need ventilators. That's not even a real thing. It was made up by the New York Times. What is a ventilator? We used to just have plastic bags, and we just squeeze them, and they worked. But now the New York Times is making this shit up. And I give money to the Washington Post to Jeff Bezos. Uh, wow. Now, do you give money to Bloomberg though? 
Nope. No, God no. <laughs> no, if they stop paying their journalists so well, maybe I would. Because I mean, their journalists get um, um, enormous. They're the highest salaries. I know. Salaries in the business, huge salaries. And some of them, and this hasn't been criticized enough. Some of them just like up and went and worked for the campaign yes. for four yes, months. They there. did. Like absolute attack dogs. Yes. Like. I'm going to go out there and completely douche Joe Biden for three <laughs> Do you remember months. when we were all scared of uh, of uh, the Bloomberg campaign? Like, he was on the cover of New York Magazine. And I think it was the week that he dropped out. And it was like this like he's kind buying. of brooding picture of him. Yeah. Like, mm. can he buy the election? It's like, no. No. Does anyone <laughs> remember Michael Huffington? Besides the fact that he was like, you know... Um, the 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 first man that Ariana Huffington turned gay. <laughs> Presumably, there were more. Oh my god! Um, I know about the oh first man. God. What? What? <laughs> it's true. I don't. I mean, I talk. I speak the truth. You know? um, but Michael Huffington didn't he? He spent he more in a congressional race at that point than anybody else in the history of. It's like forty-seven million dollars for like some. The, crap the analogy that you're Barbara. looking for like, though is amazing. David Koch. David Koch is the quintessential example of someone who cannot buy a campaign, a presidency. Yeah, he loses. But he, a lot, he had a lot of money. He like he ran for yeah. office and did not win. So yeah. this matters. That Cochtopus is it's not doing so well, yeah. is it? Well, the pulpo, the Coke pulpo, is not doing so well. Yeah. Well, I don't know if they'll get their bailout, Matt Welch, but I did see um, some numbers out of the National Bureau of Economic Research earlier today. They did a survey, reported likelihood of remaining open by industry and in a hypothetical crisis, given a duration of, say, one month, four month, or six month. Um, I won't bore you with all the stats, uh, but looking at retail um, 33% of hotels say they think they would survive in a circumstance where it was like six months in duration, 27% of personal services, 22% of restaurants, uh, 15% of bars. Um, and said they would stay, they out, uh, stay open they or could that survive. they would close? These, this percentage believe they oh, okay. could survive a six month closure. Um, the numbers are a little better. Um, if we're looking at four months, it's worth noting that we're well beyond one month at this stage. Um, so yeah, it's likely to get very gloomy for a lot. I mean, of but people. also keep in mind the number of those restaurants that if they were in business in New York would actually go out of business. Yeah. I mean, the turnover yeah. right there is, is ridiculously high. So, no. um, but yeah, we're all fucked, but that's, that's pretty much the long and short of it. Right. Thank, thank you for that. Yeah. That was optimistic. Well, I mean, let's Jeez. inject a bit of reality. Can you here. lie to people? I just, just this is, I'm the CNN of the streets. <laughs> <laughs> that's, what, that's true. That's, our, that's what they that's always me. say in the streets. Yep. Yeah. That's the CNN yeah. of the streets. 5G yeah. is, is responsible uh, for the coronavirus. And but do you think, buddy, Michael do you think rappers the CNN would say that streets. now? If they watch God, CNN no. now, which is just the worst. <laughs> I, like, like I was watching this, during the press conference. I never um, watch it TV during the day, but I was watching as the cryons keep, are they called? Oh, cryons. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Cryons. Yeah. Cryons are things. changing. It was funny as they Oh, yeah. No, it's like every, everyone was getting like more apocalyptic. Trump is melting down. Yeah, trying to melt things down. But when are they going to start using like, uh, like you know, uh, Terry Gillum animation or just like you know, lipstick on the on the screen, <laughs> they, like poopy yeah, things? Yeah. I, mean, I like, did think, guys, they're going to do you it. Listen to the Chris Cuomo radio interview. Oh my gosh, oh, that yeah. was amazing. It was, it was so excellent. great. 
It was, it was so, so great. great. Where he's like, I'm respected yeah. in an industry that I have no respect <laughs> for. It was like, oh my God. It's awesome. Yeah. It was, it was awesome. I know. I and know. It's funny because I, I, I don't have a lot of respect for him. I know Fredo. So. I know Fredo is actually the, like the N word, <laughs> but I'm allowed to say nigger. So I'll say it. Um, yeah. <laughs> he went full Fredo. Thank you. I don't have permission to just punch a motherfucker in the mouth. So this yeah. job doesn't mean anything to me. Okay. Totally. All right. Totally true. Wow. The worst when you're an Italian, Italian American, I am half Italian American, uh, half Irish. So I'm so you two, violent, so you two could species. say Fredo is what you're saying. Violent species. Yeah. yeah we can. <laughs> the worst thing about celebrity, I imagine, would be losing the ability to punch random strangers and not <laughs> so get on TMZ. That's so weird. I mean, but the guy said, like, he said, like, someone fucked with him in his, in his, like front yard or something? Yeah. Wasn't that what he was saying? There's a few stories Hamptons. and then there's a biker that like in went to the New York Post and talked about it. I mean, I'm so deep into this at this point. <laughs> oh, you're like a Cuomo. Camille's a Chris Cuomo truther, by the way. <laughs> about his chest x-ray. Wait, do, you, do you think that he doesn't actually have coronavirus? Oh, no, no. That's I, true. I that's think true. that he does he have the did, coronavirus. But... I think that it is important to remember that there's no way to fact check <laughs> your symptoms. So when you tell a story, on television about having visions of your daddy. Mm. I don't know. I don't know if I believe mm. that story, Chris Cuomo. That's all I'm saying. Well, well, no, that's not all you're saying. <laughs> because first of all, I get like six beers in me and I see Ed Koch and Mario Cuomo <laughs> at a certain point. Um, the second thing, they, that's the most are important they, Are they kissing? Definitely. Uh, 100%. <laughs> yes. That's what I, well, and where's Dinkins? Well, by the way, we remember the homophobic campaign that uh, Chris Cuomo was blamed for, right? Was it Chris Quinn was the other son? It was, uh, it was, uh, it was, what's his name? It was the governor, wasn't it? Was it Andrew or Chris? That was, that was, I don't know. Is this Cuomo, not the homo? Vote for or Cuomo, something? not the homo. How have was we the, not you know. talked about de Blasio yet? Because he's not worth anybody's breath. And we're saving we've, these in case we need a rest. <laughs> <laughs> we've, we've, we've poisoned the oxygen, breathing his name oh, on occasion. God. Yeah. The worst. But the other thing is, I just want to say that, that there were a number of people, like reputable people that said, the chest x-ray that Chris Cuomo held up was perfectly normal. And there was nothing. Um, and he was like, see, this is shows you that I was, I was overwhelmed by it. You can see the Corona there. You can see it in there. And they were like, <laughs> they're, infu- they're infiltrate. like doctors. Like it's that's infiltrate. not what that says at all. It just says it's totally fine. Well, <laughs> you saw that. Not I the most it. important doctor. No, I, I oh, totally missed it. Um, there was Camille sent me a link of a doctor on YouTube <laughs> that was like she was like well I'll tell you what's going on yeah. this is actually not and it was like the slowest most tedious debunking in the history he's very of polite about YouTube it. debunking like he, he likes very it polite. was that he's like I, I'm not, I'm was not that sure they got the, this one right but you know Chris Cuomo yeah. great guy the CNN. doctors who looks like he's a uh, a member of the Almond Brothers <laughs> oh that guy Trump Stomper yeah. Well, it's hard to tell because there's so many of those in the Trump world. Those guys. Who the, who knew that there was like a whole section of YouTube where radiologists like they make videos about themselves doing mm-hmm. their job as if someone is supposed mm-hmm. to care. And apparently, they rack up those views. They had like forty thousand views on this damn video. It's shocking to me. Barry Weiss is already in bed, and it's yeah. going to be her ASMR tonight. <laughs> right in about She's- two minutes. <laughs> She's putting yeah, on a radio and candle review YouTube and makeup tutorials. <laughs> candle review? Oh man, I'll that? send you some links. What? Seriously? Love it. People review candles? Oh my god, did they review? Huh. Oh my god, that sounds disgusting. Do they amazing. unbox the candles? I'll, I'll send. I'll send you. My sister's super into this. They just the smells <laughs> and that's amazing. 
Gotta love the internet. We are reg- so we're regressing as a species. We okay, are. Guys, yeah, right. let, okay, guys. Okay, let's elevate it. Okay. Before <laughs> okay. we go. Okay. Not really. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> How do really. you think this is going to change you? Mm. Hmm. Moynihan, you're going to stop hitting that vape? Um, I literally thought you were going to say something else. I did not tell you what I thought you were going to say. Although, although there, there's, I was like, there's, I was like, I, I literally got into Ike Turner mode. I was like, I never hit nobody. No, uh, there's, there's a study. There is a, a recent study. Camille, can you cut that out? <laughs> there's a recent study. There's a recent study that suggests that smokers actually have a lower likelihood of hospitalization with COVID. I. I've seen, I've seen, I've seen yeah. the red scare ladies tweeting about that all. Yeah, the- yeah, they're they're my two favorite people on on Twitter, and I hope you listen. To I did. Podcast. I listened to their interview with Steve Bannon. Um, I just did their regular podcast. I listened to that too, but is is very very good, and I really enjoy it. So, um, and I will tell you something about that Steve Bannon episode after the after we're done recording. But um, <laughs> but how will it change me? Um, I don't know. I mean, I I probably. Probably not much. I mean, I've always all the things that that are like psychotic about me have come in quite handy now. Like, um, like is, obsessed. Well, like I'm, you know, I will not like I will not buy something if it's too expensive, and I know I can get it somewhere else cheaper. Because <laughs> I'm like I have this depression poor kid mentality, so it's come in quite handy because I always think that I'm going to lose everything, mm-hmm. and you know, I've <laughs> lost some money in this whole process. Um, and I just got a paycheck today for the first time that was significantly lower than it had been last time. Mm-hmm. So that sucks. Um, but yeah, like all those weird things that, um, were just weird, you know, parts of my personality that have actually served me quite well. I'm fine being alone. I, I enjoy it actually. Um, and typically I can, I can, you know, leaven that a little bit with, with, you know, just, I can go out and see friends and stuff. Not being able to do that's pretty, pretty weird. And I've realized that, that I'm okay with it. Mm. And I don't, I don't hate it too much because I have enough, you know, I have, I, I've, I've enough interests that, that don't require other human interaction that, uh, you know, that's both reading and masturbation that is fine. I mean, I'm just, I'm completely happy with it. And uh, yeah, I don't think it'll change me very much. It hasn't so far, um, which is much, much of the great regret of every one of my friends is that it hasn't changed me, but yeah, I think I'm pretty much the same. Matt. There was a, there was a moment uh, in which I, and shall I say this in public? Yeah. Why not? Uh, Michael's ex-wife, uh, Texas, both each other at the same time, kind of talking about something else, but um, talking about you know the strain that everyone has felt, and we both texted to each other with an an, an element of like surprise, like God, you know, the sanest person, is Michael. <laughs> <laughs> and like neither one of us were like gonna go there uh, as a, as an opening bit. I I, um, I, no. I blew up my life five years ago, so I'm way ahead of you guys. <laughs> no, I'm like I, the I'd China like- in this thing. I've been I've been I've had all the info before all of you guys did. You know, uh, for, for me, it's like uh, this. This might have come as close to anything as uh challenging or extinguishing the hippie part of me and and that really makes wow. me sad how so um uh, because i'm i'm from california i'm kind of i'm kind of mellow in general I, I i i don't get i am not quick to anger at all and i'm just on edge i have i have rona rage like i um it's <laughs> a, a a daily basis like losing patience with my kids 
Uh, and I mean, in fairness, just, like, your kids are a little rough. I mean, have you seen them? <laughs> I'm joking, by the way. Jesus. Yeah. Uh, no, but like, uh, uh, it's, uh, I, I have a level of anger. Maybe it's hanging around with uh, Moynihan, and, <laughs> Moynihan for whom it comes natural. Mm. And he hasn't increased. It's just Moynihan. Uh, but Camille, who's turned into Black Zinsky, <laughs> um, like the yeah. amount of like violent. Can we just call him Black Zinsky? <laughs> uh, no, it's it's uncomfortable. It makes me sad. Like, uh, and but it's also you know, time. I'm, I'm middle aged. I'm older than everybody else here, so like, uh, I I might be like just cycling into the doom that happens to men of a certain age. But like, I feel like I'm becoming East Coast now, and I and I yeah. hate that. Oh uh, wow, we got you, sucks. didn't we? Yeah. Yeah, we finally God. got you. But Joanna does say that I've, um, you know, in the past, say, 10 years, uh, mellowed considerably. Mm. I was a, a ball of rage when I, when I was married to her. It's not, those things are not related, by the way. It was, I was before I met her, too. But uh, with, with age and with, um, you know, just living a totally different life and, and being in New York, you know, it's not the falling down. Uh, movie you know it's not uh, you don't become bernie getz in new york anymore um because you have to know how to handle idiots and crowds and people who don't know how to operate in society at all and if you don't know how to do that you become bernie getz you you go crazy so i think that like i have for for so long now um particularly coming back from sweden i lived in sweden where um every everything is so rigid and conforms. Look, I heard the the foreign minister on Swedish foreign minister on BBC, and it was the most terrifying thing. Listen to it. It was today, and she they were talking about WHO because Sweden always steps up and gives a bunch of money, and they were talking about the Swedish response, which is you know not um, mandating things get shut down. And she had this incredible observation, which Swedes don't often say in public. She was like, "We're Swedes. When the government says that you shouldn't do something, nobody does it." Mm. That's the thing. That's why it'll work here and not somewhere else. Because, you know, we don't have to mandate things. People trust the authorities here. And living amongst that was something that um, really unsettled me. And it's true. I mean, I remember the first, my first uh, night in Sweden, I, you know, was off on my sleep by six hours, whatever. And it was like four in the morning and I was awake. And so I was smoking like a chimney back then. I went and walked to 7-Eleven true story in the middle of downtown Stockholm and went outside to get, to get cigarettes. I was very excited because I got a pack of 10 cigarettes. I used to be able to get those 10 packs. And um, I went outside and there was a don't walk sign and there was like four people out and they were all standing there and there was literally no cars for miles and they were standing at the don't walk sign. And so I walked across and the great thing about Swedes is it was like make way for the ducklings. They all followed me. I turned around and I was yeah. like, oh, what are, you, what are they doing? And they literally like, okay, I guess it's time to go across the street and it will be fine. <laughs> we will not get arrested by the polices. Um, so I walked across the street and I was like, this is a country that follows rules. And, you know, living in that and then coming here and moving back to New York was such a culture shock that it actually, it was like, it took so much of the anger out of me. Because I was so angry about the society that actually followed the rules that I can no longer get too too angry about people who don't. It's a very strange thing. Swedes really screw you up. Yeah. So anyway, Camille, too soon to tell. I mean, this this could end in so many different ways. It's it's hard for me to to even speculate about that. I will say that it it hasn't changed any of my perspectives on 
government and the role of government in our lives. And there are some people for whom they find themselves wondering if they should get the government to do more things to prevent pandemics. Um, I think the government's inability to do plenty of other simpler and important things um, <laughs> makes me <laughs> makes me less than optimistic about their ability to provide a whole of government <laughs> solution to global pandemics. Um, but more libertarian, you're saying, but yeah, but that doesn't mean that I don't think that we need to, uh, that does not mean that I do not think, I don't know if I'm getting the negatives, right. It's a little late and I'm a little drunk. Wow. Um, we ought to have more conversations about these issues and be better prepared the next time. Uh, but I think the, we is broad. Uh, the the resiliency here um, is not so much been our our federal or state institutions. Um, I think it's the citizens themselves that will save themselves from this circumstance. Certainly, following uh, appropriate guidance on how best to safeguard yourself is one of those things. Um, but I mean, the resiliency of the commercial sector, folks like Amazon and FedEx who are still delivering stuff, the grocery store that's still operating, all of the grocery stores that have really harden themselves um, and become a bit more resilient to try and protect both their customers and their workers um, and keep stuff on the shelves. Like that resiliency has been uh, pretty inspiring. And I think some experience, an experience like this could be something that makes us more robust against future threats. If you think it's hard to get, um, get pills from China, Barry, try getting an unemployment check from the state of New York. <laughs> Oh, no, no. People that I know are just like, I don't know where it is. I don't know when it's coming. I got a username and password and you log in and it tells you nothing. The stories of the small businesses applying for these uh, these federal loans that are are not at all surprising, but they're bad, like really, really bad. Like all of the processes are failing um, profoundly. So, you know, it confirms all of those suspicions the thing that has surprised me the most um uh, unfortunately is the degree to which americans have almost wholesale like sort of turned into just this mass of narcs who aren't just eager <laughs> to to snitch on their neighbors who are outside without masks on or, going to the or like sitting on a park frequently bed. or something like they, they, you're going to denounce me, aren't you? Desperate for it. No, no, I, you're, you're, you were, you were having fun. Um, they weren't. Yeah. Like they, they want this and they want more punishment and more punitive actions. And when they see people who are sort of insufficiently excited about the opportunity to be taken away from their work and life for a period of oh, time. Camille, was it like on the, was it on outraged. the Patreon only that, that are, that we, uh, read the, Listener mail who, uh, when I was talking about people narking and about social distancing and they were like, you know, why are you in the park with, you know, the person <laughs> and that, that, uh, a listener had come up with, with, uh, the, uh, the uh, phrase social distance warrior, yes. <laughs> which amazing. is apparently, which is apparently a thing that's a thing, perhaps ironically in some cases, but it's a thing, I um, love yeah. that. but yeah, I don't know how I'll yeah. change, but I, I'm a little sad with just the way some Americans have changed and maybe a couple more weeks will get them more except we did see some uh, protests in places like Michigan today where apparently oh God, there was one Confederate flag, which means all of them are racist. And that could be the only reason why they'd be in the streets angry because oh, yeah. the, the, the problem with that, know. by the way, is not the Confederate flag <laughs> is the other pictures is like, these are not the people you want 
representing because like everyone had like AR fifteen. What's wrong with that? It's like yeah, but What's like wrong with that? it's kind of well, it's kind of associating <laughs> the can we please go back to work movement with the let's blow up the Murrah Federal Building movement. Well, so <laughs> well, when you when you saw those pictures though, did did that not speak to you? Because when I saw those pictures, yeah, I it spoke to me and said, "This is bad. This is very it's bad. bad. This is the this is not the face of this movement. This is, that you want, but this is, is one month in. Like there are lots of people like that. In two months, how many of those people are similarly upset? Yeah, are they are they that's, more upset? Are they the still armed? Like I don't know how long you can sustain something like this in the United States of America. Um, I'm going to take a guess here. Barry wrote a book about anti-Semitism. I'm going to guess just from the picture. This is, this is going to get a lot of shit. It's a very bad thing to say. But if I, if, just from what I saw, if I talk Stop to individual those people about Jews, <laughs> what, what what do I think what I would get as a response? I'm just going to just gonna speculate. I'm just speculating. <laughs> just speculating about the, about the, you know, <laughs> they're a banking family. That's all I know. But they're very <laughs> I'm sure. I'm sure they would say you mean that that Kushner kid. He's good people. That's what they'd say. Oh Uh yeah, they don't know. Mega cag. Mega cag. (laughs) (laughs) Oh god. All right, I gotta go to bed. We gotta wrap this up. Um, Guys, try not to gain the COVID nineteen. Again, would you say (laughs) you get the COVID nineteen? Moynihan infect us all, but you can get. Can you get it? No, I said try not to gain (laughs) it. Oh, right. yeah. Well, yeah. there's some things that, you know, I put myself in some situations <laughs> that might gain the COVID, might gain other things. You know, we'll see. Her, we'll see what immunity when is the, coming. When the test comes back. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I have herd immunity now. A lot okay, all I need to say is that I am like, when you're talking about like grocery stores being hardened and resilience, I am like the least prepared person. And <laughs> Like I don't have a driver's license. <laughs> you don't? No. It expired like eight years ago. So there are some things I need to do to like yeah. level up to get as prepared as my quarantine partner hmm. prepared us. Well, I, I will say that you really hit the jackpot with the quarantine partner in a number of ways. But the driver's license one, I was <laughs> something I never <laughs> I just didn't know that your lovely partner I'm, um, I'm just whom I'm, I used to work I'm with pathetic. and whom I love. <laughs> yeah, yeah. She's she's uh wearing the pants this in this uh quarantine. Not, not so fast, she? baby. Whoa, whoa, whoa. You know, Wait, that is a perfect segue to a Camille Little song, Diddy, a me oh, too, a baby it's mm. cold outside type. <laughs> <laughs> what so you're gonna have Camille sing the whitest song ever recorded? <laughs> he doesn't believe in race anyway. What's white? This is true. No, race is yeah. race is yeah. nonsense. And Teddy Teddy Pendergrass is is plenty me too unfriendly. I mean Yeah. You know. Yeah. Just the whole catalog is me too unfriendly. Turn them off. Bye. We, we, we know of new methods of attack. The Trojan horse. 